Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. My name is Podcast Mike and this week's guest is Damien Power. Damien is a comedian, writer, podcaster and actor who speaks to Will in this chat about many, many things, uh, including his philosophy towards comedy, how he approaches his comedy, where he thinks comedy is heading, as well as his approach to finding joy and excitement in life. Uh, by doing things such as swimming in freezing cold water and more of a long form episode of Willosophy. But I encourage you to listen to the end because there are a lot of really great moments in this episode with Damien. If you like this chat with Damien, head to his website, damienpower.com. He does have a bunch of shows coming up and you can also listen to his podcast, Neurotic News Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Or watch a bunch of his stand-up specials on his YouTube channel. Just type in Damien Power. Will also has some shows coming up. He is doing his Willegal show in Currambin on July 24th. And he is also doing his What You're Talking About Will show, a completely improvised show at the Enmore on July 3rd and at the Brisbane Powerhouse on July 4th. Get your tickets to those. There will also be a discount code to the two What You're Talking About Will shows for Patreon subscribers. So that might be an incentive to join. Patreon.com slash Willosophy. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us make this show, put it all together and uh, keep the lights running here at Tofop Productions. We have some other podcasts as well. Head to Tofop.com to have a listen to them all and find out everything we do here. But for now, enjoy this chat between Will Anderson and Damien Power. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Uh, this is how the show starts. Regular listeners will know this. I ask the guest who they are. So, who are you? Oh my God. Um, I'm Damien Power and I'm a comedian, I guess. And uh, yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you define yourself without saying what you do? It's, a, it's like one of... One of my favourite questions. Oh, by the way, Damien, I don't get to do very many of these in person anymore because of the changed circumstance we find ourselves in yeah. in this world. But you're at my house, which means that uh, the dogs are involved in the podcast. <laughs> the Welcome the back. Can I get the dog on? Can and, you- well, that's Ramona. And Ramona will, yes, she'll go up towards your face for a little bit, which is just her you know, saying day. And then eventually, you're if you just pat her on the dog. back. She will probably sit on your lap for a while, so I hope that's okay, okay and you're not like allergic to dogs or anything. No, but, no, definitely not allergic to dogs. Okay, if anything, so, the opposite. Yeah, there we go. Now she's just getting in position, and you can just rub her back. As no, okay, and, no, uh, we're just gonna go and sit up. She on doesn't the, like me on the pillow. Anyway, so she'll be fine. They'll find their, their, their way. <laughs> it's so uh, funny. I like asking the question because I like to hear a what people say. I don't really care what they say, but I, I like to yeah. hear what they say and. B, I think I'm most interested in what you identified in your answer, which is how do we define ourselves if we don't define ourselves by our jobs? So tell me about how you feel about that. The definition of yourself through your job, how much of it is related to what you do for a living. If you stop doing what you do for a living, would that destroy how you see your identity? Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I think we all like to think that maybe it's like, no, 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 I'm me and I'm not what I do. But I think we so much are, you know. And uh, I think stand-up, particularly stand-up, although we all do different things from stand-up, like writing or radio, whatever the thing is, but stand-up in particular, the live medium, I think if, if I wasn't doing that, it would be... Um, yeah, I think... Because I used to work in IT and stuff and, you know, do computer support until I got fired for walking around the office telling jokes just all day <laughs> until they just fired me. Because I would just walk into people's office and go, what do you think about this bit? And uh, they were just like, dude, you've got to go. <laughs> I remember clearly when they fired me, he was like, we can make you redundant or fire you. I'm like, what's the difference? And he's like, oh, if we make you redundant... You get paid. And I was like, oh, that one, I think. <laughs> it's crazy. But um, yeah, like, a, uh, and that, he, as, as good as that job was, a pretty privileged position to be in, just to have like a great level office job, interesting, great people working in the film industry, but IT support, like nothing, you know. But it still was so depressing to me. Like I was just so depressed. Like I just hated it. I remember writing jokes at work about how, I'd hoped the world would end as a way of getting out of having to go to work and stuff. How important do you think? So I think you'll enjoy this story. So my last real job last year made me think about all the ways that I could get another real job. But my last real job, hopefully my last forever real job, uh, was writing advertising copy copy at the Herald and Weekly Times. So that's like, it's News Corp. How long ago was that? 26 seven years ago wow and so that was my last real job i'd been a journalist in the press gallery at the financial review you know at a university while i was at university Mm -hmm. and then i got to melbourne my aim was to do stand-up comedy but i needed a way to earn a living and i had like this skill set and it was just being employed at the most basic level of like trying to sell advertising in like mostly the weekly times occasionally writing some advertorial copy like you know here's this thing that we've been paid 600 bucks for an article about this tractor You've got like a journalism background. Can you knock together some essentially what is advertising copy still, but some acting, like it's some tractor gear, <laughs> look like journalism, yeah. you know? But I was terrible at that job, absolutely horrible. Like I think independently to the fact that I didn't want to do it, and I had my eye on something else, I was no good at the job either. I just didn't have the appetite for sales. I wasn't a person, and I reckon the last month, at least, when I'd started doing comedy. I would just go in there and I would get on the phone because a lot of the job was being on the phone trying to ring people and whatever. And I would just call my mates and we would just talk for hours at a time. And then I would like go and see a movie. I would say, I've got to go out and have a meeting. And I would go and see like Weekend at Bernie's or whatever. Wow. Like for two hours and then just like go back to the office. And at the time, like I was raised on a dairy farm, like with a real sort of like, you know, like Church of England work ethic, you know, the idea that you yeah. need to constantly work to earn a living. I'd work full time during university. It was part of my DNA. And then suddenly I realized I was just absolutely 100% taking a wage from an employer in exchange for no productive work, you feel not bad. even attending. Yeah. I felt terrible Yeah, until I grew up and realized how bad Rupert Murdoch was. Oh, and yeah. now I've reframed it in my mind as a political protest. Yeah, that totally. For a month of my life, I managed to just steal money from Rupert Murdoch to go to the movies. You should go back. <laughs> <laughs> See if you can do less. <laughs> Take more pens or whatever from the staff room or whatever. 
Yeah, um, but so how true. important is it? I've always thought that much of my drive to be a professional comedian came from how much I hated going to that job every day. That's that I so true. I wanted isn't to it? make the thing that I loved yeah. a success and I was willing to work. I was w- willing to work really hard at something that I thought was fun rather than have to not work hard at all that's something that I thought was horrible. Well, like once you started stand-up, did did you find it like... It's not like you're just in a state of joy doing it. It's that you're so compelled by it and obsessed with it. Is that how you found it? And then you just couldn't quit kind of thing? I mean, I think there was probably some early joy and then obsession. And then and now I'm not sure what, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't really know... It's one of those things that there's definitely a compulsion. That's what I've reconciled with that like part of me is compelled to do it. And whether that's good for me or bad for me, I am unsure. And I think, to be honest, there's a lot of evidence that, yeah, there's buckets filled up on both sides of that ledger. How do you feel about that? When you look at yourself and how much of a part of it it is and the reasons that you do it, what what do you see? Well, I think that's the interesting thing though, isn't it? Because it's like I... It's not like it, it brings it, like it definitely brings me joy as well, as much as also frustration, heartache, anxiety, fear, <laughs> panic, yeah. um, bitterness, like all these things that you feel at different times. But the diff the, the core difference between that and the other job is simply that you want to keep going. Like you feel like everything you're putting into it or whatever is going to the thing that you care about or something. I just wonder what's at the core of that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think... What is go, at the oh, core I of follow that? Your... What do you think's at the core of that? <sighs> oh, fuck. Um, I don't know. I guess that's such a good question. It's like, why, why this? Mm. Why? It's like, you know, like, why this? Why not? Why isn't the IT thing like the... Because I even have but, my own but even on a IT. even on like a broader philosophical level, yeah. Because I know you're a person who thinks a lot about you know things broader than just the day to day application of the events that we're living through. Like, right? As a human being, on what is possibly an accident in the corner of the universe, like you know, <laughs> a once in a lifetime, literally set of circumstances have combined for us to present and evolve into what we are and then your part in that is (laughs) like this thing that you are incredibly driven and compelled by is so ridiculous so what's at the heart of that where does that come from it's such a good question and i think like it's like life is short right we've got this tiny time and and stand up is like this crazy uh expression of how you feel in an in an exciting environment that's like intense and you're getting this big rush and it's all like getting this big thing out of this out of out of what you do and it feels like you're using so many of your faculties like the writing the thinking about it is the bit going to work the crowd the night the all that stuff that you feel like you're doing something that will keep you interested and that you feel like you've never mastered and so you just keep going with it. Whereas with IT, it's like, yeah, I plugged in the USB. <laughs> I think the, I think the, uh, you know what I mean? Like, there's so much in stand-up that you feel like you're utilizing your time on this planet. Well, you I, can also say your opinions and stuff. And but I mean, the, yes, is, but IT is one area that you could argue has like a, a reasonable influence on the shape of the modern world. 
Absolutely. Like, it's not you, like you were working in some industry that was about to go out of business. Yeah, like, yeah. IT has kicked on also. Yeah, yeah. IT's doing well, I yeah. hear. <laughs> <laughs> you got, I tell you what, kids, if you're listening, uh, invest in IT because I tell you it's going to take off. <laughs> if you're listening on your phones. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, it's, it's a great point. Yeah. You know who I always think of is my brother, Will Wright, the, the racing car driver who drives around because i feel like he's a more extreme because we could kind of go like ah uh, you know creativity where you know it's bullshit like oh people are laughing giving back to the world or whatever <laughs> <laughs> bullshit we tell ourselves yeah. that you know like you know and we're, we're sharing ideas like i you know i heard a guy come up to me about your stand-up once and said that you changed his mind about gay marriage through stand-up but we don't really think of it like that, do we? Do we really think that we're changing people's... I don't think it, despite evidence that I know that it is true. Yeah. Like, despite evidence that I... It's too arrogant I, to be like, I'm you, changing the world. Well, with, with, I'm, I bet there's a period of time you went through where you thought you were changing absolutely. the world. <laughs> absolutely. And yeah. I would be absolutely lying if I didn't think that... I, yeah. I, I thought that as well. Uh, what I've reconciled myself with a little later is that occasionally... That does happen. I had just a, a year and a half ago, uh, some parents come up to me after a show I did in Brunswick Heads at the Brunswick Picture House. They had come and seen the show earlier in the week. They sent their son or their son-in-law along and he was like in his early 20s or whatever a couple of nights later to hear what I had to say about climate change and the bushfires and you know some material I was doing at the time. And they came back specifically to thank me because they had had the first rational conversation that they had had with their like kid or whatever for like years because some of the ideas that had been in my show had been presented to him in a way that they could have a conversation with them. Now, so is there a role for if someone is ready to have a door opened for them to you to give them the tools to open the door or give them some incentive to open the door or reframe an idea that they already believe in their head but they haven't found the words for yet in a way that makes it click? Yes. Can I change someone's mind? If someone believes something fully the opposite through my powers of comedy, can I come in and go, yeah. <laughs> step out of the yeah. way, guys? The revolution starts tonight, everybody. Uh, strap in. Right. Capitalism. <laughs> Let's start with that. <laughs> Just people walking out going, yeah, yeah. You know, burning. Can burning I explain to somebody the concept of privilege in a way that opens their eyes in the way that my eyes were opened when somebody finally explained privilege to me in the way that made it click in my head? Yes. But that person already has to be looking for an explanation of what privilege is, I think, for me yeah, to have Yeah, I see effect. what you're saying, yeah. Well, it's that old psychological thing that you hear, you know, that that laughter, like, you know, if I said to you, hey, listen, this is what I think and this is why I think you're wrong and here's all the facts in the world to prove that you're wrong, you're going to put your defences up, but laughter brings them down and you know like so there is that psychological thing that if you go into a comedy show you're like yeah i'm here to laugh what climate change it goes through or whatever it gets into people's minds it's amazing though i think and you'd probably experience this uh which is when somebody who really just is committed to the other perspective you know so much so that they go i i came to your show and i didn't expect a like a political diatribe about blah 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 yeah and they are so committed to their point that they are willing to look over the other thousand people in the room who were laughing at the jokes. 
I'm absolutely fine with you to disagree with what I'm saying, mate, but you can't pretend it wasn't presented as comedy. There yeah. was like hundreds yeah. of other people in that room laughing at the comedic way I was presenting those ideas. It wasn't a political diatribe. It was a comedy routine that happened to be about a perspective on a right. something you find political. Yeah, uh, right? yeah, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you've crafted a joke out of it, I mean, that's the right. difference, isn't it? It's like if you're just ranting yeah. and there's no punchline. Then, yeah, of course. That's you know, not what you paid for. Yeah, exactly. And they're totally right. fine to do that. But the thing is, you strike a nerve with someone. But people misunderstand all the time. Like I have a bit about the mo- at the moment about, uh, you know, I go, put your hands up if you die for your country. And no one ever puts their hand up. And I'm like, things have changed, haven't they? And stuff and talk about... Like how, you know, nationalism's kind of dead and all that sort of stuff. And how Defence Force ads now, they used to be like, fight for freedom, for king and country, sign up. And now they're just like lifestyle commercials, like learn yoga, come to the Defence Force and stuff. Come to the Defence Force, we'll pay for anything else you're interested in, just to get you in. Scuba diving, yoga. What what are you into? (laughs) Like, you can learn to do it here. Travel, meet friends, the army, you'll have to kill people and stuff. But there'll be all these other great (laughs) things you'll get to do. So, that's kind of the gist (laughs) of the joke. And so, the joke is actually about our, lo- our loss of patriotism and nationalism and that kind of idea that we sort of are so self-absorbed now that we, what big causes would we fight for and stuff but people just hear defense force and guys you know a guy on my show's like oh you shouldn't fucking have a guy the defense force people fighting over there and it's like the bit isn't even about that you know what i mean like people hear the words it's a tri- and, i mean it's a particularly tricky area and then the they're moment. shut off they're not going to laugh because what you we've know. got in australia is i mean firstly this idea, as you get older, again, this is one of those things that you just learn as you get older, is that so much of what we... I was raised thinking probably that I was patriotic and had that attitude of like, you know, you got to support the troops and mm. all those sort of things because all the propaganda, and you realise as you get older, like intentional propaganda, yeah, but yeah. all the propaganda we saw, the, the, you know, the Anzacs are the heroes of the peace. This is... You know, the way that it's taught to us. And then you get older and you start to unpick, oh, hang on, maybe some of this was literally propaganda, you know, that that we see these cop shows or these army shows and they, they always make the army look good because, oh, guess what? When you make a Hollywood movie, you can't actually hire those jets. The army supply them in a deal for you, like, you know, Them making looking the at army the script. looking really they cool, They can look right? at the script and yeah. give you money and stuff if, they, if it's pro So once army. you understand how the world works, it's mm. not a conspiracy. It's just like... You, you, you can then reevaluate, oh, do I believe this thing because I actually believe it or is it more complex than that? And I think we're reckoning with that in Australia at the moment. We always had this idea that our troops were the good oh, troops. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. That our troops weren't, you know, we only went to peacekeep. We only went when somebody else needed us. We only fought on the good sides of these battles. Yeah. And I think that we're having an increasing awareness as Australians that that... <clears throat> I mean, I don't think that's been mm. true necessarily for a long time. And again, in a certain way, I don't blame the soldiers in general. There are plenty of you know people who, who join for yeah. a whole bunch of different reasons. I blame the system and the way that it's set up, and the fact that we send young people to die in fucking countries for you know the wrong reasons and you know reasons that don't work and all these. Like yeah. it is incredibly complex, but we can't rule out the idea that amongst those, in the same way as amongst the people who play football there are a bunch of people there's a who few are bad eggs characters. out there <laughs> yeah it also can apply to when you 
give somebody a gun and a license to kill somebody, yeah. that can also bring out... Who would have thought flying people to another country to murder people would yeah. have gone wrong or whatever, you Right, know? suddenly when you have to differentiate yeah. between who you're murdering today and for why, yeah. then it can become it a complex area. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I do think we're reckoning with that. It's a big conversation, but there's so much defensiveness around the idea that you can't just... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there's so much nuance and complexity to it, but you can't talk about it because patriotism right. is such a tough but um yeah i guess all those big narratives all the big narratives of western society nationalism your country what it means government um you know white people and white privilege and all the big stories we're told that come along with that are all under question now and it makes it harder to have faith but then contrary to that it's like what do you have faith in then if you're like, oh, I looked into it, our country turns out it's done this, there's this whole history, the frontier wars with the indigenous, they're the real wars, the birth of our country, no one ever taught me that, you know, the Anzacs did this and that, and turns out that our government did this, and, and you start losing faith in all these institutions and stories and big ideas and narratives that you're meant to believe in, then what do you, what are you left with? And does that Instagram. open the door to, but <laughs> also know, like, does that open yeah, the door to this rise in sort of conspiratorial thinking that we've seen? Well, it's like replacing the story. Right. Like Q- QAnon, right, is replacing the story of like believing in the old days where you had simple things to believe in, like Jesus or whatever. Now it's like, oh, that's bullshit. The earth's flat. You know, and uh, Trump's of fighting pedophiles on behalf of God. <laughs> Or whatever. You know, like they need something. We need something. And that's yeah, we need that, stories find, to fill those gaps. Yeah, I find that kind of really interesting. So, because I think that you're someone who, and this is why I try to identify, partly because what you are talking about before, which is that facts don't convince these people. Right, like, yeah, yeah. I had a line that I said on stage at Brunswick Heads about QAnon. I said, facts aren't going to get them out because facts didn't get them in. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like this is That's not, a great point. you know, it's not what they're working with. It's not the way that you have to, like, you can't convince them with more facts. You've got to get to the heart of what it is that they are missing or needing or what this emotional story is. Mm. Now that can be challenging, right? Totally. But I recently had a really fantastic conversation with a friend of mine who's really bought into a whole bunch of those ideas and really felt that just by like trying to openly communicate with them to not bring, you know, like, I mean, actually really acknowledging, being really honest, like, and they know me. So like, it was one of those things where I can go, look, you know that I probably don't agree with a lot of what you're going to say, but I'm like, I'm happy to hear what it is you've got to say and why you think you know you've got to say and what i realized is halfway through the conversation was this person because they've invested in it they've investigated it they've go there's this person who said this there's this person who said this they're much more prepared for that conversation than i am halfway through i was starting to go well that does sound right like in my head knowing (laughs) that if i had the time to go away and google and check a few sources that most likely it probably wasn't and i'd be able to find a whole bunch of reasons why it probably wasn't but in that moment i was like you're saying they're better prepared so much better prepared because they're getting attacked all the time as well They've got to justify it to themselves. Yeah. If you're going to believe in a new religion or whatever. You've got to have the whole narrative. Yeah. The whole story. Yeah, totally. You'd be all ready for the, like, you know, for the attacks. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's yeah. a fundamentalism that yeah. becomes such a defining story. And if anybody attacks that story, it's so hard to. 
Well, yeah, I mean... Look and I guess the- that's what patriotism and nationalism was. Yeah. Right? It was just the story. And as we're saying, you you, you talked about the first people of Australia, the First Nations people, like, and the... Yeah. You know, the myriad of horrors that were done to them and we weren't told about. It yeah. Is, like, you're yeah, suddenly yeah. like, oh... Okay, so that was also just the story that they convinced us all to believe. As as an aside, I, f- I found this is so interesting to me. Like I grew up in Toowoomba, and I grew up on this on Prince Henry Drive. You know, <laughs> couldn't be more white, <laughs> Prince Henry Drive, and overlooking this lookout. You used to smoke pot there and stuff, and just this lookout. And I was like, Toowoomba's so boring. You know the history of it. Can't wait to get away from Toowoomba. What's interesting about this place? And you'd look out over this this lookout in the valley, and there's this tabletop mountain, tabletop mountain. So whatever, went through the whole my whole life not knowing that that was like one of the most right there was one of the most significant and interesting battles. And that, that whole area was filled with mountain tribes that united against the settlers and nearly won, pushing them, starving them out by killing the sheep and pushing Morton Bay settlement to the brink of extinction. And there's just this complicated, incredible war that happened right like where the highway goes. And they tried to name the highway after the warrior that fought the war for like 10 years, a guerrilla warfare campaign called Multuggera. Never even knew about it, never taught about it, had no, you know, and it's, it's just like, whoa, this place is rich with a history that we just don't talk about. And a better history. And so much more interesting than like, yep, Toowoomba, yeah, fucking footy and ancient history. One of my major arguments with, um, you know, our complete incapacity to reconcile with the real history of this country is that... If we did reconcile with it properly, we would come out better the other end. Because weirdly enough, and of course not in every case, but Aboriginal Australia has an incredible desire in general for there be a reconciliation process. Absolutely, yeah. You know, beyond what could be expected of them based on how they've been treated over the years. Like there is still Mm -hmm. at the heart of it a willingness for like to be embraced, right? And we are missing such an opportunity as a country to just embrace it because I don't remember any of those dumb old stories about like colonization of Australia, but like these actual stories about our real history of this country that we could own like i don't mean like become our own but i just mean be part of what we sit down to when we talk about australia are so much better like they're better prequels you know currently we have george lucas prequels we want some actual fucking reimagination the stories are fucking insane there's actually a great podcast called frontier war stories by an aboriginal bloke up in brisbane um yeah and god almighty dude it makes game of thrones like it's actually incredible. Like the history of our country, of that era, the frontier wars is fucking nuts. It's so crazy. Anyway, um, I forgot what we got onto that. But you know, you're we talking about like right, right at the start of the podcast about why we do what we do. And I sort of started on this thing about my brother, Will, like yeah. who does the race cars, right? That to me, because like that idea that we do 
what we do you know it's creative you like you say you might change someone's mind you can argue it's an art stand up you know we don't like it 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 definitely we don't like to say that it is but you know it's we don't mind saying it in fact i you can say it i can't because you've been doing it you're a respected comedian you can be like i'm an artist if i say that shit doesn't look as good i don't think (laughs) my my partner doesn't think i'm an artist yeah she she does not consider what i do for a living to be an art and i constantly am reminding her She's like, she's going, oh, you know, blah, 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 this artist. And I'm like, you know, I'm a professional artist. I'm actually quite a successful professional artist. Yeah, I'm I've an managed artist. to make Fuck my yeah. entire career in the professional arts. Like, that is... No, it's not easy. No respect in this house. No respect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like an art when you're in a pub, does it? You're just when, like, mm. when you're down in your fucking man cave smoking pot with yeah. your friends and making your imaginary radio shows. <laughs> Writing some dick joke or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's real art, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't fly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, but I, okay, so your brother and... You well, know, I just... I, 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 like, like, there's a, I hadn't quite thought about it the way you know the way you put it is like yeah but why okay yeah you know it's all these things but there's something at the core of why you do it that i think is unconscious or deeper that right why the fuck you do whatever it is you do in life and i always find that the most interesting with my brother will because he races indy cars and just drives drives around in circles and shit you know like it just like and he's still like got that hunger like i don't know how long he's been racing for now like he's done it all he's won a world championship he's won an indy 500 he just raced indy 500 if you're a couple of if you're about ago. to tell me that his passion is circles and that's just been the entire reason he's dedicated <laughs> his this life. Faster I just, circle, man. I just want to be around as many circles as possible <laughs> He's always big into circles. Even as a kid, he'd run in circles. And I thought, he's going to be the greatest circle guy in the, in the world. One day, he'll have the fastest circle. Everyone will see. Wanted to go to the Olympics. Not to yeah. compete, just for the circles. Loves the logo. He liked the circles. Um, but yeah, he, 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 he trips me out. I'm just like, I don't know what drives that guy. I mean, no pun himself. <laughs> I mean, fuck. Because like, I get... Like I get what we do, yeah. you know. I get it. You 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 get up, you get up in front of a room of people, and you're telling them ideas about the world and blah blah blah. And people might laugh, people might change their minds. Who knows? You know, you're being creative and stuff, and you get to travel and blah blah blah. And but he just races really really fast, and I it, it fascinates me to he's won a world championship, he's won Indy five hundred to still be like no no I, I just there's one more I want to get. You know what I mean? I, I, I it, it genuinely. I don't think he knows why, but he talks to me about it and he's just like, I just want to win. Here's a question. Um, don't you find that interesting? It's like- I find that super interesting. I'm going to have a little side alley and then I'm just going to come back to that. D- does he always drive in the same direction around in circles? Like are all yeah. are all racetracks in the same direction, or do sometimes they change it up and they have to drive in the opposite? direction? You think direction? he's really bad going the opposite? I'd just be interested. Like <laughs> he, he doesn't just do circles. The Indy Five Hundred. Like I- <laughs> <laughs> he's had a diverse career. Um- <laughs> like even just for balance and equilibrium, you'd think you'd occasionally have to, at the end of the day, drive around in the other direction. <laughs> You worry one arm might get bigger from doing right. that. Just <laughs> one, real yeah, lopsided. Yeah, it's like your skills are too much on one side um, from leaning into the corner. Um, no, he. No, you're right. <laughs> it is just one direction. But they do tracks as well. Oh, yeah. Like Indy on the Gold Coast used to do that. Oh, stuff. that's right. It's a track. Yeah, yeah. They do tracks as well. Mm. 
Um, he's better at the tracks and stuff than the circles, I think. I think he's gotten better at the circles. <laughs> <laughs> he says he's worked on the circles. This is what I'm talking about. Like, I mean, like what I'm saying is this, right? Like, <clears throat> he's done it for so many years and he's kind of got the prizes. He's got the two big prizes. And he says to me, they do speed testing and they drive for like f- at 400 plus Ks an hour in a straight line on a fucking runway. And he goes, he says, you're going so fast that you lift your foot and your presses against your chest because of the G-force. And he said, he said he's just totally bored. Like he's doing that and just like, uh, just thinking about dinner or whatever, right? I talked to... Um, so it's not like people, you know what I mean? It's not that thing of like, whoa, fuck, I'm racing a fast car. That's well gone for him. So Geraldine Hickey... People love when I repeat stories on this podcast, but <laughs> it's relevant. Uh, Geraldine Hickey won the uh, Best Show Award at the Melbourne Comedy Festival this year. Incredibly well-deserved. She's a brilliant- Saw the show. It was excellent. Brilliant yeah. comedian. Yeah. And it was a fantastic show. And it was Very just- Very well-structured. Yeah. It, like everything about it. Just her moment. Had the best gala spot out of all the gala spots, I thought. You know, just a really, mm-hmm. you know, and she's been nominated a, a bunch recently. It's like, it's- it was her moment. It was just a really beautiful moment. For sure. So, Absolutely. And great person as well. Yeah. Couldn't have happened to a nicer person helps. as well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not totally. always the case, but yeah, it, it certainly helps. Definitely the case with her for sure. And so I was uh, performing at the Arts Centre. And so because the show was going so well, she did like a night of it at the Arts Centre. That's great. And for her, doing a night at the Arts Centre, it was like a big deal for her to do her own solo show at the Arts Centre. Huge. And so I saw her when she was coming in for a sound check. And you could see it. You could be like, she was like, like she was almost like walking above the carpet, you know, like she just had a glow about her. She was so excited. She was so grateful. Like this, yeah, particularly I think because she's a person that it took a while for the success to come. When the success comes, she doesn't expect it. She appreciates it. And she said to me, she goes, oh my God, do you ever get over this feeling? And I'm like, eight or nine shows into like, you know, my run at this point and just remember going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. But you don't want to say it in the moment, like you'll get sick of this. <laughs> but but then you have to find another reason that you still love to do it. And well, this is, is what we re- started well, talking about, well, right? Which right. is the idea yeah. that at the start yeah. you can do it for one reason but the reason that you keep doing something right, doesn't have right. to be the reason that you did it in the first place. Right, right. Well, that's what I would put to you. Like as someone who's done it all in stand-up, been even, you know, America, all that stuff. Like why do you still do it? Because you're almost – but see, it's not it's, – again, Lack I, of think, other skills I think I think it's <laughs> genuinely so most it's just of a work. Reason. It's just a job for you now or – because I know that you love it because we were talking about – you know, I know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's I not, mean, like we were talking about stand up. As much as I would, I love to wrestle with the idea of never doing it again. And I think the reason that I wrestle with that is because I know that it is purely a hypothetical scenario I'm running through my brain. That there is just absolutely no way that I can stop doing it. And I think that part of it is that what I love about it the most now. And this means I have a complex relationship with it. But I enjoy the challenge of trying to master something that I know is completely unmasterable. Mm. Like you can capture lightning in a bottle in moments and those moments feel amazing. And the idea that I could 
get good enough at it. Like the thing, the reason I keep doing is, is I don't think I've got it right yet. Like, I think that's the main reason I keep doing it. And I am determined to keep trying to get it right until like I can't anymore because I just feel like I'm so far away from getting it right. There's such a good attitude to it. Fuck. Such a good... Well, I guess maybe that's... I guess that's how Will feels about the circle. Because <laughs> 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 I guess, you know... Yeah. It, I guess, you know, it, it, for us looking from the outside, it looks like the circle looks good to me. But I suppose he looks... <laughs> you know... Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but, okay, but that's so a great attitude. What, well, though, what about like, the idea then that everything, all these things, there are important things in the world. What 2020 taught us, there are actually some essential industries. And those essential <laughs> industries are not always things that are valued as being essential when we go back to the rest of society, like doctors oh and nurses and teachers and, you know, frontline, you know, hospitality workers and people who work in hotels and people who, you know, stack the shelves at supermarkets, all those people who had to keep doing their job, you know, during the middle of the <laughs> pandemic, it turns out are not normally the most rewarded people, you know, for those things. Yeah. Um, what about, because we look at football, we look at racing cars, we look at stand-up comedy, and we realise that those things have an importance. Like, you know, there is something about the distraction and being able to think about other things, but that, that their importance is that. Their importance is that they are a distraction. And I don't think I'll ever be able to look at football the same way as I looked at football before the pandemic. Now it is 100% just a game. I can't, I, it's a game, but if, if they have to call off a game, they call off a game. It's just a game. Oh, the teams don't all play each other enough times. Who cares? It's just a game. It's just a game that we all decided that we would like. I was thinking about it with Naomi Osaka. Like ten- a nice bit of relief right. from from our lives. Like it's, it's purely entertainment, whereas you think before COVID, you're a bit more like, what? Yeah. They cancelled a game? This and is- the same with comedy a bit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like I'm just yeah, like, yeah. you know what? It's amazing that we got to do it for 25 years in a row. Like, the fact that we didn't get to do it for a year, it's amazing that we had such a good run. You know, this is like the depression that we had to have in a way to remind us that we aren't that important. I think I love that because it just it, it's a great way of looking at it for, you know, to be more grateful. But also comedy had had a good run. Yeah. Like if you think about the last 20, yeah, yeah. since I started doing comedy where festivals like five years old or whatever, like, you know, people are starting to get jobs maybe in the media, but it isn't like a regular thing that you would expect from like, you know, it was still running away to join the circus. I've seen that industry develop, you know, I've luckily been part of that industry develop and like seen some of the rewards of, you know, Australian acts being able to play big rooms or, you know, tour all over the place or, Mm. you know, get radio or television shows or the things that come now almost as an expectation of what a career in comedy might look like. That's been the whole story. It started as something small and it's grown into this. When I joined it, I wasn't joining a thing that was a fully grown industry. I was joining something that was still... So for me to just absolutely go, we got used to this being too good for too long. 
Comedy wow. almost became too much part of the establishment. We needed to not have it for a year. We needed to see that the government hates us and does not want to support us and does not value us the same way as they value other citizens to reassess our relationships <laughs> with our audiences and, and, yeah. and what we're saying on stage and whether it's fucking important or not. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> it's such a brutal, it's such a brutal <laughs> truth. I was going to do a show tonight, but fuck it. Who cares? What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I think no, there's but it, I a think freedom you're looking in that. at it in a mature way. Like that's a mature way of looking at yeah. it. And and a, and and a, and it has like I said I think it's we should be more grateful. You know? Like that we're back and doing it and 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 what you said then was profound to me because I I'm obviously started a lot later than you so <clears throat> I never I sort of came in when the game was already going and to hear you talk about it like where you were there when it started and it was this and now it was that and now it's this it just makes like, you realize like, now, like that we're go, lucky to even have this like because well, it used now to be it's even, one of those things where like people go i could be a millionaire being a comedian whereas yeah, yeah, like yeah mate, like no one imagined you'd be a fucking millionaire you mm. wanted to get on tuesday night at the fucking espy yeah, for 150 yeah. bucks and yeah. you thought you were living the fucking dream you thought you were a comedian, you know, like the idea that it grew up into what it is. I think it's good that there's been a bit of a readjustment. I think it, ref- I don't know. Like yeah. people I, from IT support are getting into stand up now. I thought, <laughs> you know that, what I mean? That, you know, during the comedy festival this year, the array of shows that were nominated for the awards were that generation of talent who's, it, it just almost benefited a year of not having the internationals there. They all got better venues. They all got more press. They all got better audiences. And there was this generation of people who've been doing good work for years now, but just needed a graduation moment. I don't think that would have happened without, if things had just kept going, you know, the festival's full of internationals, the newspapers are all writing about the internationals. They're not reviewing Luke Heggie or they're not reviewing Michelle Brazier in the first week. So suddenly they're not selling out every, you know, night of their festival and doing these great shows and everybody's hearing about them and they're getting nominated for awards. I just don't, I don't know. I kind of feel like in the long run, it's going to be a good thing for comedy. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it's really right about that, that generation of comics getting their moment. Because you're right, all those nominees were like these people that have been at it for nearly 20 years, like 15 years kind of average, all those nominees. And then then just to go, hey, this is going on. There's all these people you've heard of that are famous. And then the internationals come in normally at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and everyone's like, whoa, God, this guy, you know. Well, it eats up a lot. If you think about the natural evolution of it. Sorry, I've been talking a lot. but No, no, um, no. It's it, super interesting. If you think about the natural evolution of it, the internationals used to be the biggest acts of the festival. They came out, they sold the most tickets, like, you know, got the reviews, got the attention. There was a period of time where there was the emergence of that generation of Australian comedy that then became the biggest sellers at the festival. And it would not be now unusual for, you know, an Australian act or a bunch of Australian acts to be amongst the biggest selling acts at the festival. And Australians sell well pretty much across the board. But so back in the day, there's still internationals coming out. Now you've got this also generation of people who are eating up the media attention and the newspaper. So if I'm doing a show, is the Herald Sun going to talk to you or are they going to talk to me? They're going to talk to me. So that eats up that attention, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got the internationals. And then, you, so you've got all this on top of it as well. It's meant there's a generation of people who ha- have been good beyond, like if we were as good as they were, we were much further into our careers 
than they've been allowed to get into their careers because we haven't moved on. Right. <laughs> Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, like, you yeah. know, like we're all still there. You know, there used to be an, like people would move out and people could move into their spots. But if people don't leave, <laughs> yeah, it's harder right. for people to move into their spots. And then this year we cleared up all these spots with the internationals not coming in. And then suddenly this whole generation of people who are like, well, we've been ready for years, but fuck, if this is our shot, we're going to take it. I hear what you're saying. It's time to ban the internationals. Yeah. Because inter- uh, otherwise the they're Melbourne coming after me. comedy festival. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cut the international. Yeah. There's no I in comedy festival. That's our new slogan. <laughs> yeah. Xenophobia is back. <laughs> Build a wall around the town hall. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I totally agree with you. It was great. It was great. Maybe we should do every second year or something. Well, maybe people should only be able to do... They run the festival every second year, but you should only be able to do every second year. So like, you yeah. know, so it means that there's kind of a roster of people who are in and out. And if you want to do something in between, here's how you up the creativity of the festival. You say, if you want to do something in between, it's got to be something that isn't you. So like, I couldn't do like another stand-up show. I would have to come and do like, you know, some character show, a character show or try something different. Why not get a small room and do like a, you know, like a a play or something like that'd be great. Well, because I'll never do it unless it's legislated. But if it could be legislated, because I even felt like this year, there was a few more creative shows that were kind of put on because people didn't know if the festival was going to happen or not. So they were like, instead of doing my own solo stand-up show, I'll do like, the grub live, you know, yeah. or whatever, like yeah, you know, yeah. an event, yeah, you know, yeah. something that if it gets pulled at the last moment, it doesn't really matter. But like, and it it made the festival feel more creative and dynamic. I think. Yeah, I think there were a lot of shows that um, just got longer to develop. Like I talked to a couple of those nominees and stuff, and they had the show ready. Then it got then the festival got cancelled, and then they got longer with it. You know what I mean? It got longer to develop. So this hour, that'd year be shit. the best way to give out comedy grants. Yeah. You tell people, you go like, you know, you're a young comedian, you yeah. know, like you're on your way up. Your festival show starts on April the 1st. And then like on March 25, you go to them and you say, here's $10,000. You're actually doing your show next year. Keep working on it. Because if you gave the comic the $10,000 in the first place, you're never getting a show. They're still writing it just before the festival. Yeah. But you've got to scare them into thinking they've got to do it and then go, now here's $10,000 to go actually away and work finish on it, it for a year. Yeah. yeah, make it good. Oh, man. And next year when you come back, it'll actually be a really so good show. So many good shows yeah. if that we did yeah, that. Yeah, right? That's what we should be doing. I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, Because I, I keep coming back every year, but there's a part of me that's like, like, I don't feel like the show gets better until like after Melbourne. Like you work at work, work for months and you get it to Melbourne, you do it for a night every night for a month and then it gets gets to a point and then you go back to the clubs and everything slows down again and i feel like so much fat drops off and what's really strong comes to the surface and new stuff slots in and then it's ready i feel like it's a two year or like an 18 month kind of thing i agree like and people are pushing shit uphill in festival shows to i'm, I'm well, me no, included i'm everybody. Not, you know, like we're all doing we have to what hannah what Hannah Gadsby won the award for in Melbourne for Nanette? Did she beat you? Were you? Is that one of your years? Uh, yeah, it yeah. was actually. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough <laughs> when you run into a Nanette. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like- I was like, I think I'm going to lose this year, guys. <laughs> 
I was still at the back. Going, no, no, I think this no, is it. This, this is, is it. the year. Yeah. This is the year. Sure, she's selling out the yeah. opera house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, just hang on. Just give us a second. Okay. Amy, yeah, hang on. I'll just take this, mate. No worries. Go for it, man. Uh, we're back. So yeah. that, that bit in between will get cut out by Podcast Mike, who does an incredible job. You can contribute uh, to me paying Podcast Mike at my Patreon, patreon.com slash philosophy. This is an indie podcast that is crowd supported, which means that our Patreon subscribers sign up for as little as a US dollar per month. And uh, I, pay, I pay James Fosdyke, who does all the original artwork, and I pay Podcast Mike, who edits the episodes together. And that is where the money goes. So... If you would like, if you like this show and you would like it to come out uh, regularly, um, then it would be awesome if you could contribute to the Patreon. Uh, so, uh, I can't remember what we were talking about before my phone rang. So, I um, instead uh, we started talking about the idea of extremes <laughs> and yes. like the appeal of extremes. So, we yep. were talking about it was a conversation, and you were talking about you like cold exposure, like mm-hmm. plunging into a cold pool or being in a cold shower. So, yep. firstly, talk me through what the what is that, and what is the appeal of that, and do you well, do it regularly? Sometimes, I one of my favorite things to do is, if I'm honest, although it's it will seem strange, is I drive out to this creek, Cedar Creek, outside of Brisbane. Ideally, you'd run first. But at this time of year when it's winter, it's fucking cold as shit and swim naked in that creek. Like you have to set a timer because you'll just get straight out. It's fucking like, like I set a time for eight minutes and you get out, you're physically numb from the temperature of the water. And is there any science behind <laughs> what swimming naked in a creek <laughs> well freezing yourself for eight minutes because this is one of those things that like people go yeah but you feel amazing when you get out i'm like yeah because you're almost dead like it's amazing to feel I like feel you're it's not nice dying. to be nearly dead a few times you know a little bit <laughs> i think um yeah I, I i there is some there look there's science behind all this wellness shit you know, it's just like the best it, kind of science, pseudoscience. Yeah, fake science. You know, whatever. But um, badly misinterpreted science. It's like back in Actual the day. Actual good science. It was science misrepresented. Exactly. Science. It's like that science in the 1950s of like smoking increases lung capacity. Yeah. That kind of science. <laughs> yeah. It's good, a bit like that. Reliable science. <laughs> that sort of shit. Um, that I, I think, like, I, I think, uh, yeah. Someone explained to me the other day. It's like it. It stops blood flow, the cold, and then releases like it has to be all like your body releases a lot of blood cells as it warms back up, kind of thing. So it's like a deprivation, then a f- in, and then an influx. Oh fuck, I don't even know. Then an influx of of blood to areas of your body, muscles and stuff like that. The idea of being extremely cold and then warming up, I understand that. Like, mm. but does that like is they're part of Will's personality that you think is like, you know, that he's living his life at some sort of extreme. And I think that like as a stand-up, even though it's a different thing, you are living your life 
at an extreme or what at least other people might see as being an extreme because one of the hugest fears in life is public speaking, right? People, you know, a lot of the time with stand-up, people are just fascinated by the fact that you're willing to do it and that you can remember everything. Like, it is an extreme thing to do. Is that some of the compulsion? It's de- it's definitely extreme. And I think, like, it's like those kinds of things like ice baths or, you know, what daredevil kind of shit. It's all in the same ballpark, right? Like, it must come back down to some kind of personality trait that certain people are inclined to be like that or not. Um, but stand-up is definitely extreme. And it's like I was saying about Will, you know, like, go and scheme with him or whatever and he just goes straight down the mountain and feels nothing. Like it's that idea that... Because it's not a circle. If you go in a circle, he'd be loving it. He's trying to turn in circles, but it doesn't work going down the mountain. Hate scheme for that reason. Straight line. Fuck this. What's the point? But um, yeah, he just like going straight down the mountain like this and then didn't see a jump. I was watching from a chairlift and he's just going straight down the mountain, didn't see a jump and just did the jump and was just like, uh, duh. And just landed. <laughs> like, <laughs> just went, shoot, duh. Oh, jump. Cool. Because like stand-up doesn't seem extreme to us because we've been doing it for so long that it's like whatever. And it's the same with him. Like what, what makes, like I don't know what in my brother's brain would make him feel fear. I really don't. Because apparently it's like that. But dude isn't who- it putting you in a situation that he wouldn't be un- that he wouldn't be comfortable with? Like a friend of mine's doing a, a launching a cookbook, and she wanted to do a terrifying <laughs> um, demonstration for the launch of a cookbook where I would cook, you know, the meal, and she'd sort of like in front of people. Terrifying ah, to me. Terrifying, like, yeah. You know, I can terrifying cook- for you. Yeah, I to- can I can cook, but I can't. I'm not. I would absolutely not rec- say that I was a good cook. I'm definitely like a. If there's a recipe, I'm pretty good at following a recipe and like you know making stuff. But I would not say that like I, I'm in any way a natural cook. And the idea of watching people who like cooking watching me cook and it takes too much of my concentration for me to also be funny about the fact that I am cooking so instead i'm just feeling uncomfortable whereas i said to her i said what about if you cook it and i just like commentate it and like you just know just annoy her like and stuff, yeah, yeah yeah ask what you're doing and interview <laughs> yeah. you and whatever and she's like oh yeah really is like because that is actually more intimidating to most people than cooking the meal but to me it is the absolute reverse i know that i can do that but the idea of cooking it so is there not something like that for Will that, yeah. you know, you just put him in a situation where it's outside his comfort zone? Everybody has a comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. it's just that, that that crazy thing that he does has become his comfort zone or whatever. Yeah, it's the same for us. Is there like public speaking stuff for you that makes you nervous just because like sometimes I find like, okay, I'm doing the stand-up, that's totally fine. But then if it's just an inch out of that, like, you know, like just, I don't know, presenting something on TV or just just this far left. And what we, in people's eyes would seem less terrifying than getting up in front of a pub of strangers. Is there stuff like that for you where you find like even some public speaking still makes you nervous when it's not your thing, like stand up or... I mean, I've had to make a couple of wedding speeches for people that I love that great I felt example. Like tough, like to pitch that right and to like like not make it about you make it about them but also present it in a way that isn't your stand up like i find those sort of things tough um what i would say is 
like TV, radio, any of those sort of things, never found them intimidating at all, to be honest, because they're not my passions. Doing something in stand-up that is in a place with an audience at a level that I don't think that I belong at, you know, the first time you go to some big major festival and do some big gala show or whatever and you're just like, I don't belong here. Because I love doing stand-up, that's what gets me. Like if, if I'm in a situation where like I'm trying to do what it is that I think I'm good at and I love and for some reason I am not being good at it. I did an audition for Conan's show when I was in LA one night. It is honestly, to this day, I don't know how I did as badly as I did. Like it's, I can't. What does an audition look like? It's a gig at a comedy club, but there's only about 15 people there. And of course, because it's, it's like, LA. Is yeah. it, it's kind of LA. So yeah. it's LA and it's like a little room out the back of the improv. There's no actual audience there. There's just like a few people from the show and like, you know, a few hangers on and whatever, Nightmare. like partners Nightmare. or like whatever. Everyone's auditioning. So there's like eight people on the lineup. They're all auditioning. So like, you know, and I was on first. Brutal. And the person who was hosting was Jimmy Pardo, who's like so brilliant. Like he's this great American comedian, does warm up for Conan, but like he's just one of the great crowd work guys you'll ever see in your entire life. That's why he's been such a great warm up guy. He's just so quick witted, but also he knows the industry back to front and it's mostly industry. So he's just like riffing on like absolute in. So the only thing that could get this crowd going is industry insider jokes right that's the only thing that the people in this room would laugh at and he's doing them all like and then i went on to do you know my audition set for conan which for me is not my strength anyway to do like a tv spot like there are some comedians who are great at doing tv spots it's never been my best i I work long form at best and (laughs) like and i think that shorter stuff like the appeal of my work that you can see in a longer form, I find hard to condense into... Totally. Like, totally, yeah. You know, a, a smaller form. And certainly hard to take bits out of, which often when you're doing TV spots, you're just taking bits out of pre-existing shows and kind of make them into something that isn't what they were envisaged as in the first place. Absolutely, so, yeah. So, but I've got like four minutes or whatever of my best jokes, but no swearing, no like, yeah, kind of dicey topics, like... Any of my takes on sort of world politics are a bit irrelevant to that crowd and that audition, you know. So I already feel like some of my best weapons I'm not able to use in this circumstance. Then I've come onto this crowd and just as a comedian, I, this was only 10, 12 years ago. And I think about it, I reckon, like, once a fortnight like (laughs) once a fortnight like i just for some reason i will come back to it and it amazes me because i had been doing comedy for 10 or 15 years at that point and i just did not know what to do you know what i mean so you you bombed i I mean i did my act but but that's what my lack of being able to connect with it myself the audience the moment like to just recognize it. Like now at least I'd do something. I'd recognize all those things I just told you about and I'd riff on that or I'd make the moment something or I'd engage with the audience in a different way or I'd like do any of the things that I know how to do now. That, But when you're in it, when you're in that moment, that to me is terrifying. That's when I'm like, I still 
I have a little bit at the back of my like every time I think I'm I'm good, I re- am reminded of the horrible Conan audition. Oh, just it sounds worst. like a nightmare. The thing that gets me about that is that you can't win, right? Because if you do acknowledge the situation and the people, that's not going to be your set on the show. You're going to go out on Conan. They go great. You got the job and go out and go anyway. The deal with writers' rooms. I know, are. but here's, what, produ- so the here's guy- what I would say is like here's what I know now is in that moment. Do I stick with what I had prepared for the TV show right. and just like bomb? Right, but they get to see it, what it would be, if they put it on or, the real show. Yeah, there they go. Well, now we know what that material looks like that we hate and hate that performer <laughs> of. Right, right. Versus that guy knew the moment, seized the moment, did something fun and funny, then mm. got into his material, perhaps you know, like did the last three minutes of it anyway, but just did something at the start to engage in a different way. I think they would go. Well, he obviously can't do that bit on the show, but we like him. He's funny. Let's get right. him to send through a tape and we'll watch him again at something else. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, that's smart. Well, those kinds of situations are terrifying because, you know, you feel locked in. Same with the gala or whatever. You send your script in and they're like, and then you get out there, you're like, oh, I feel like I should acknowledge this. You can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't go out and go, that last guy bombed. What's his name? <laughs> Dave Hughes. <laughs> How long's he been around for? <laughs> you know, well, you can't you can't acknowledge the night because you've sent in a script or whatever, and you're locked into this fucking bullshit that you've run over in your head a million times because you know you've got to do what you said you're going to do. Well, what do you think about those moments? Because you're not somebody necessarily who, like, I mean, your long form stuff, and sometimes when you've got an idea, you want to play with it for more than three or four minutes. So, how do you adapt to those moments? Well, that 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 I, I'm the same as you, obviously, for those for people that do full-length shows like doing a four four minutes god my first gala spot was i think three minutes and i was so fucking scared and this is what got me right is that like all in a you know your dressing room or whatever and then you you have to walk through everyone in the industry you were emceeing it actually it was the gala that umc was my first ever gala and the whole industry is watching on a television backstage so it's not that you've got to go out and perform in front of 2,000 people or whatever with cameras on you to a script you sent in for three minutes you get one shot there's no second takes or whatever then you walk through this whole room of anyone that matters to your career at all just staring at a screen not laughing as acts go on that's that's your green room you walk through it just I could, I barely got through it. I almost couldn't talk. I almost couldn't talk. It was absolutely horrifying. And then the next year I was like, just try to enjoy it. Like focus on just relaxing and enjoying it. And then like, I feel like it's gotten better each year, but I feel like it's like that threshold of what terrifies you. The first time it's fucking terrifying. Then it's slightly less terrifying. Then it's like, you know. But yeah, I think like having to push yourself into push your stuff into three or four minutes is, yeah, it's it's not what stand up's about. I don't think. How do you start with an idea? So if something's going to develop into something you talk about on stage, does it normally start with one thought? Does it start with I want to I want to talk about patriotism, or I want to talk about nationalism, or I want to talk about like China and our relationship with China, or does it start with like a joke, a, an opinion, like something you're passionate about? Like where does the creative process begin? 
Yeah, sometimes, yeah, it's a it's a mishmash. Often, like sometimes it's it's something. I think ideally, it's something you're really passionate about, which could be anything. It could be like, yeah, like global warming, or it could be just getting a parking fine, or anything. You know what I mean? Like something you really care about. And then I think if you really believe in it, you'll stick with it. So you'll go up and try it, and that might fail. And then you go up and change it, and then oh yeah, there's something there, and then rearrange. You'll stick with it if you really believe in it. Or like sometimes it's just stuff you're talking about on stage, and you say something, and you go, oh, there's something that's interesting. Like that defense force bit I said, like one night I said, like hands up if you die for your country. You hadn't planned it, mm. and 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 no one put their hand up, and I went, oh yeah, and then everybody <laughs> laughed. Yeah. That the fact that it's yeah. like the acknowledgement that nobody cares anymore yeah. or whatever. Or maybe it's the acknowledgement of people are too uncomfortable or I don't know, whatever it is. And I was like, whoa. Well, there's so is, much in it. There's probably this, like, I wouldn't raise my hand in that situation t- because totally. yeah. there is something that there's an implication that comes with that that might associate you with some like yeah people you don't want to be associated yeah, with either totally. that as well. Of, right? Or soldiers that might be humble and be like, I'm not going to put my hand up, right. you know. So... Like and then they're getting a big reaction. A couple from of that. soldiers who couldn't put their hand up because they fucking died for our country. Yeah, Unlike you miserable fuckers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great way to make me feel good. Um, Got to cut that. Died for your freedom to do that fucking bit. Yeah, by the yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting getting that re- like getting a reaction or something like that. I was like, oh, that's okay. I didn't expect that at all. It's almost always a surprise. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's kind of like finding. I like the term finding the signal in the noise. Like you get up and you talk through all this stuff and you try to be loose and talk around stuff and like that bit, for example, I'm like, oh, there's so much in this mm. and I've found something. Like people yeah. went, whoa, there's a big reaction. So then I'll go away and write off that and be like, oh, there's something there. And like, so talking through bits and, and taking ideas up on stage and then finding like something in it that like, ooh, that's like, and then sticking with it and building around it where there was signal, where there was a reaction. I find heaps of it is 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 about the, uh, the the live thing for me. I don't know for you, but like uh, it's definitely like live to page, live to pay, back and forth. But the live thing is like huge for me. Like writing wise, I can't. I, I, I'm envious of people. I think like Geraldine Hickey. I think she's one. Like comics that like Judith Lucy. I'm told is definitely one who just like writes an hour of comedy and it's all funny and then just does it and it's fine. It's like, for me, it's a, just like night after night. Because I just, yeah, like I have to really find what's funny. Like, you know, I can't just write it out on a bit of paper and just go, yep, it's done. I have to get up over and over and over and over and over. I always <laughs> say to people, come to the first night of my show so that you can see what I thought the show was going to be. That's exactly it. That's exactly <laughs> like, it. And like, it's always good to see how wrong I was by the end of the festival. Oh, I have quite a lot so of people wrong. Yeah. who come to first night and last night just to yeah. see how far off I was. That's a fucking Because I normally get idea. there. It's a great idea. Like, you know, by last night, you kind of have always yeah. got it. But sometimes you've got it by night three and sometimes it takes you till week three. So true. So true. Do you, do you, do you get up a lot in, in the process of getting to night one? Or are you, because you're so well known, do you just go oh well i can tour like endlessly so i'll just start the tour and then by the end of it it'll be done or do you have to like me like where you just get up at little clubs all the time and i mean recently basically i would do a week at brunswick picture house so that's like that so that started with were legal in 2018 right so um 
I would do those five shows normally or five to seven shows. Like start on the first night with, you know, just all my ideas and then hopefully by like the weekend I've got something that resembles a show and then I would normally take it to Adelaide and Melbourne and, yeah, make it make it into a show as I go. So right. really only sort of four or five, yeah, maybe five or six, you know, nights of, but not trying anything in clubs, not like taking it out to places. But I'm not sure that that is necessarily the approach I might take into this next year. I've got so many ideas at the moment that I think I'd like to just, some of them really do feel like, like I wrote this routine about um, a conversation I had with my plumber about um, anti-vaxxing. And nice. (laughs) it's one of the best nuanced bits I've written in a very fucking long time because it really is about... Like, it isn't just about that conversation. It's about, like, this conversation I had with my friend the other day. It's about, like, the about ideas and how we exchange ideas and how much you can change people's minds or not change people's minds or how much you can trust someone as an expert when they're doing your plumbing versus, yeah. like, how much you trust their expertise. <laughs> Everyone's an expert to, now. Right? Everyone. So, yeah. it's... I, I really love the routine, but I wouldn't... It's a big idea, and I'm not arrogant enough to think that I know how to achieve what it is that I'm trying to achieve first go at it. Right, like, yeah. It's, it's, I think it is in complexity or ambition of complexity kind of a step up from how I normally would attack that topic where like three years ago, four years ago, it just would have been a routine about how stupid anti-vaxxers are, right? Whereas now it's like a much more sort so of So you have like, like more respect for the bit and the process of, of, of it. And just trying to play with out. the complexity of ideas. Like yeah, trying to yeah, like take too, people yeah. to where you think you're going and then flip it to like- yeah. But because also I think that's my philosophy generally in life. It's more honest to what I believe. Like this perception sometimes that I have around my work that it's very didactic or at least that some people perceive that it's didactic, I think is actually a mischaracterization of what it is that I like to do. I actually really like to try to explore ideas, but maybe I haven't. I think my next challenge is to better like show people that that is what I'm doing. So like this routine in particular feels like one that is just rife for like, you know, how do you show love for somebody but, like, disagree with their ideas and, you know. But but even that, I something I was telling you about before, the, the fact that in the middle of it, I feel like I feel like comedy often you set yourself up to be the hero of the story, right? Right, yeah, for like, sure, yeah. I can win this argument now because I've had time to go away and Google some good, yeah. you know, like... And then I said, and then boom, I, yeah, right? yeah, you know. And I've rearranged it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, fuck. Well, you're witty, yeah. As opposed to kind of exploring the idea of being in one of those conversations and not being in charge of it. Yeah. Like getting yeah. lost in the weeds of it. Like I want to, yeah. that's where I want to go with it. Anyway. Yeah. Like that idea of, of not necessarily having a position. Right. Like from the start where you're like, I believe this and through by the end of the bit, I'm going to have proven it as opposed to going along the bit and people going, well, so what does he think about it? Like, right. is he pro it or anti it or, you know, like that kind of territory. Is or even like if you're aware of what I think, but like that I, you're just exploring things with a kindness. Yeah, 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 with an open mind instead right. of going, right, this is what I think and I'm going to show you or whatever, yeah. you know, by the end of the bit. How, do, how does, like, being – because, like, you know, how does how does being known affect the development of stuff? Because I'm not known and I get to go to these – I don't want to say shitty places, but you know what I mean, like yeah. tough gigs. And I've also had the experience of going to Melbourne where I have people come to see me. And I go, oh, wow, this is, I can't, like, 
great. This is great. And they're like here to see the thing and they're loving it. And this is what it's about. And this is great fun. But if this was every night, I don't know how I would get like an honest feedback on the material and stuff. And so Mm -hmm. when I go back to pubs and stuff where I like go in there and there's like nobody, which is, you know, obviously pretty common for me, nobody knows who you are. I'm kind of like thinking more and more like how, how good that can be for development of material. Cause then you're like, cause especially in Brisbane when it's like, you're, you're dealing with an audience that not only don't know who you are and don't care, but also aren't comedy savvy. They're not comedy, not like Melbourne or whatever, where they're like comedy, go see it, go see the festival. These are people like comedy. Hey, yeah. Rodney Rude kind of shit. And then you're taking them on this journey of a bit. They don't know who you are. They don't care. They probably think you're, you know, some shitty open mic who just started and you're trying to convince them of an idea and they don't understand comedy yet. And they just come, they come once a year or something to some tavern or paddo or something to see comedy. And and so you're starting there. So when you develop bits in that environment, you know, it kind of can be like it makes it deeper or like more broad. So people have to get it. They have to be able to follow it and it has to appeal to people that aren't biased to you. Like how do you... Do, do you have some equivalent of of that f- when you're so well known? So I, and I've talked about this before on the show, so I won't yeah go into too much detail, but it's the reason I went to America and it's the one reason that I would ever consider going back was that just all those road miles of being someone that people rarely knew, you know, often you just booked by a comedy club for a week, you know, that's the week where you're the headliner at the club and you're doing seven shows and no one really knows who you are, but the luxury that you have, instead of having to perform in front of a few people that don't go to, you actually perform often in front of the more hardcore comedy fans in that town or the supporters of the club or because this is their week where they haven't got the big, you know, off the television headliner. They've just got someone in who can, do a good job you know so that was kind of my role in american like comedy was i was someone you could get cheap because no one had seen me much on like tv or anything over there but when i came i would do a really good job because actually career wise and experience wise i was ahead of who you could have like i was a real bargain you know (laughs) like you you got a lot of value bargain comedy (laughs) like i got a lot of bonuses like there right. would be a lot of places where you go in on a pretty small kind of guarantee and then because you'd done so well during the week, they'd actually give you more money at the that end of the week. That sounds cool. That sounds like a fun experience. But especially. also you're performing to these audiences who've never seen any of your material, don't and have any did, presumptions about who you are and what your perspective on things are right. and you're in a foreign country and often in foreign parts of a foreign country because a gig in Alaska or Wisconsin is very different to a gig in like Washington or whatever. Yeah. And so... It was amazing. It so was, did you get better, did you think? I mean, miles better. Like, really? It's so interesting. It was, I mean, they're the best, they're the gigs that the least people saw that are by far and away the best gigs I've ever done in my life. No doubt. But because also because of the expectation gap, right? Like if you buy a ticket to my show and it costs you $55 and you're sitting in a big theater and there's like hundreds of other people there, then your expectation is already that this is going to be like a, seven out of 10 show, right? But if you're someone who got free tickets to the comedy club because you're a regular there on the week where they've got that headliner you haven't heard of, you're already in a pretty good mood to be out for a show. And then you, you'd you be probably happy with four or five out of 10 and you come out and you do all your best material and you 
someone you know what it's like that yeah. moment where yeah, yeah. you don't have the crowd at all and then suddenly they're all there is so much better than being in a room of people who yeah were already there to see you yeah yeah it's funny hey it's funny because that's what you really want is everyone to be yeah. there to see you but then you get it and you're like no no don't yeah. want me right <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> i want to convince you yeah that you yeah want me. yeah but you've tried it's like a bigger win yeah. it's a bigger win for you to to come from nothing to right. bring them on board or whatever um yeah, yeah it feels more exciting so does that mean it you, feels more real and yeah, it gives yeah. you opportunity to like reframe things so i think it was a good example of what you were saying because there were routines that i'd always done the same way because the way that i wrote them was i did a few trial shows and then i went into the festivals and they mm. fell into being that routine but now i'm just like every night because i would never plan anything that was my big thing over there was like just if something needs to be improvised, improvise. If there's a moment at start, lean into it. You've got 20 years of material that you can draw on like any night for your hour-long set. Just let it connect to each other in whatever way it connects to each other. Follow everything. You're going to look like the world's most brilliant improvisational comedian because they're not going to know that you know that you suddenly were talking to that guy about blah 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 and you've got a whole routine about that that you suddenly just go into yeah yeah so much to fall back on but just like trust that you have it yeah and trust that you can own it and it was just the best like it felt like because in even in australia i never get to do gigs like that because it's like if i started rolling out material from like other shows that people have seen people would be like well (laughs) you know there's no magic trick yeah heard that one yeah yeah yeah, that sounds cool. That's a great attitude to take. I mean, I wonder how you could do that in Australia. and I wonder how you could still do that in Australia because you're so widely known. I wonder... Because I've seen like comics like Chris Rock and Louis C.K. and guys like that talk about going to clubs in New York and everyone knows who they are. So they open with really like abusing yeah. the audience and like losing the audience. Or um, Chris Rock just reads his stuff off his paper. He yeah. won't... He won't- perform it yeah so that if there's anything there he's like oh that's something so when i do perform it it'll be a hundred times but yeah have you ever thought about doing something like that where you come out and just start going yeah yeah, fuck yourselves anyway (laughs) i feel like i feel like that just happens enough naturally that you know i don't need to bring it upon myself um i think that probably my age i've been thinking about this a lot recently is that i'm like i'm certainly not as like relevant comedically in a club sense, like in pe- young people who are going out to comedy for fans of comedy, that's a little less my audience than it used to be when I was in the middle of that. And so I think there probably is an opportunity for me to kind of go back to clubs, like particularly even say like Comedy Republic, like in Melbourne, that's mm. kind of young hipstery, mm. like, comedy fans mate forget about that them, come them, up to the gold coast with me to the dog and parrot and, and do and do some uh do some open mics i up reckon there. i could go do to the tavern circuit i mean man. i think the taverns though would be easier for me being a country boy i reckon i can revert yeah, to tavern yeah. more than They'd i can pretend so that i'm still hip you. you know yeah, right i see what you mean yeah yeah <laughs> my hips hurt but oh, that's, that's about yeah i don't yeah. know how yeah, relatable yeah. is this stuff guys <laughs> yeah i see what you mean the hip cool people are like this yeah. isn't cool anymore any of you guys have trouble paying your mortgage last year is this still on come yeah, on guys yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean the tavern people would be probably just stoked to have you fuck will anderson holy fuck yeah yeah exactly (laughs) you're probably right you need to do the reverse do the cool clubs yeah 
Um, so where do you think the relationship is between audience and shaping of material? So how much of it is you saying, this is what I want to do and I have to find a way to bend the audience to understand that versus here's what I want to say and I'm going to let the audience shape it? Yeah, I think... Um, uh, I think... Uh, I, I definitely want I definitely want them on board and like I don't want to do that thing of like telling them this is you know like like that Bill Hicks thing of like shut up and listen this is the fucking truth <laughs> or whatever I definitely want so I want to bring them with me for sure you, why don't you want to have that approach I just think it's not as funny and I I I I just don't believe. I, I think I went through a phase where it was like, where I, when I was younger, where I was like, whoa, man, I've got the fucking coolest shit to say about the world and no one's ever thought this. And, you know, I'm going to tell people all this deep stuff. And now I'm just like, I just want to be funny and I want to appeal to as many people as possible. And I, I don't, I just, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't feel, I think you have to have a lot of self belief and really, really have something to say to be like, hey, guys this is serious listen to this i mean i think you've just got to have like one like perspective on things and what you're talking about is getting older and realizing that like perspectives are more broad and things yeah like yeah it comedy is so easy in definitives i hate this i love (laughs) this these are your easy comedy areas but if you're trying to do something that is a little bit more broader palette than that then i think that so, okay, but I just wanted to know why. I think it's a better way, but do you think sometimes people think your stuff is not as relevant? Like, fun, I, weird question, probably self-serving. I'm probably actually asking this about me that I, more than I am about you, but I think that I make my points in a much more clever way than when I used to make them in a very didactic, blunt way. I think I'm right. still exploring many of the same areas, but sometimes that I do it in a way that is, I think, more clever and complex and broad and able to get through to other people. But sometimes I think that people don't think that's as bold or interesting as when you just say these people are shit and these people are idiots and you're all fucking idiots. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's like a craft thing though. It's like you can make all the points and 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 bring people along with you, and then them still, you've still made the point. And it's there to be seen and it's in the bit. But if it's just like, you know, like Tom Ballard set on the gala, like, hey, liberal people are animals and they should die and blah, 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 blah. Like to me, that's not as much craft as like having the the point or an angle hidden in the bit or like brought people along and you're telling them the idea without just having a really simplistic view on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Like, I mean, look, I'm I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. And no, I'd probably no. for the sake of Tom's bit, I would say no, I yeah. loved it. I thought it was actually a really well-constructed piece that was misrepresented. <laughs> like, I really thought he was making so much more fun of himself and where he's at in, like, his beliefs than he was. The things he was saying were so grotesque. He was clearly making fun of him saying it rather than totally yeah like but that is the epitome of what i I just brought that up as an example because that's the epitome of what you're talking about of just going out and just going like yeah here's my fucking belief go fuck yourself yeah (laughs) liberal people need to die yeah as as opposed to what i would find more 
interesting would be going out and going, hey, the Greens suck. You know, the Greens are like the communists. Yeah, you love that here in Melbourne, don't you? <laughs> They're just the communist party rebranded factually. Like that would be interesting to me. But going out to Melbourne and going like, oh, you know, Mel- liberals, eh? Am I right? They suck. And everyone's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the me- you're right though. The media reaction is is ridiculous and stuff. And Tom has hours of good stuff. Um, and that stuff's great too. But yeah, it's that idea of like, I guess like bringing, it, bringing people along with with you without them sort of knowing they're coming along or whatever yeah. and then having the bit like having the idea hidden in that if Tom's bit's not going to change anyone's mind right and there is a place yeah. for something that doesn't change people's minds sometimes people just need something that reinforces their own opinion and they can joyfully wallow in someone reinforcing totally. their own opinion better than better than uh, they could themselves, right? Totally, I think there is yeah. definitely a place for that. Totally, yeah. And but yes, it's, it's, funny, not gonna, it is... it's not going to convince a Liberal voter to No, no, I don't think he's changing. They're like, you're right, we are it's fucking. Like I saw your bit about how fucked we are and how we should die. And <laughs> yeah. I thought you made some real compelling points. I'm going to vote Labor you. from now you on. You know what, I'm getting rid of my investment properties. <laughs> no, but I don't think that was his plan either, <laughs> no. was it? You know, like... Wasn't was, the point he, of the bit. No, the, was what you said is correct. Yeah. Like, I think you're right. He was just like, how ridiculous is this? Yeah. And silly is it if someone just got up and said they should all die? Yeah. And let's be outraged about that. But who cares? You know? Yeah. It's I nothing. Think, it's pointless. It's a joke. Yeah. You know? when it, both are legitimate approaches, but I was just interested in what your approach was. And no, so- I, I don't want to have that grandstanding kind of thing. I've got this incredible thing to tell you. I, I've been trying to uh, uh, go for the gut laugh and not the head thing anymore as i feel like i spent like a lot of time when i started like trying to say the most profound things and now i'm just interested in being way more silly and just in stuff that would make me laugh um and be silly and fun and dumb and loose and ridiculous and stuff more than being like trying to have some big point or some intellectual thing so that feels now more like a deliberate change was that something that you like actually made a choice to go in a different direction yeah absolutely yeah yeah i just didn't want to well it's just not fun comedy to do right that stuff as much you know like i guess when i was doing that stuff i was just like you know i thought that this was really important stuff like why why did you think it was important like what where did that come from i don't know i guess just reading like like the ideas that i was reading about was sociology and stuff like you know it's all like i guess uni level stuff of like going like well you know we live in this corporate dominated society man (laughs) and and all that kind of stuff and stuff about socialism and all that shit i mean if they my argument i would make is if they didn't lie to us as much at school we wouldn't all go through that moment where we had a meltdown where we learned what the truth is because (laughs) i think it's actually a pretty natural reaction to suddenly having your eyes open to like i would like i get it like i'm i had that period where i read the god delusion and fucking like was just like this is everything what did like totally like i wasn't prepared and you overreact and then hopefully you shake that off and you go oh yeah you want to shake it off you want (laughs) to shake it off richard dawkins got some interesting opinions no chomsky was right (laughs) (laughs) right yeah like but because we're not prepared like we're like that kid who never got like snacks at the party and then you get to university and all you eat's mcdonald's it's it's such a great point like I love yeah I love that that's what it's right it was like that reaction I was putting that on my show like don't yeah. you see yeah right and then wake like, up sheep yeah <laughs> yeah yeah wake up 
um yeah so now it's just like i'm trying to be as dumb as possible is it um, do you have a comedy philosophy a comedy philosophy yeah like do you have some sort of like you know raisin dietra some reason for it to be some sort of guiding principle that you think like not why you do it but like what you think it's for whoa whoa um jeez I mean, Fuck, it's a, maybe it's a big question. I, I think I think what I was saying for me personally about it not being cerebral but being like gut yeah. funny is my personal philosophy at the moment. Is like, and so what? What's the what? What, what do you like? What's the difference? The difference is the the level of silliness and and intentionally removing words that may alienate the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like words like say you know if you say something oh, I don't know like capitalism or like society or like i know they sound like like yeah man wow big words no but, but big they, words they, but like the, as in big big words yeah like but in this comedy bit in a yeah. pub or whatever and you say something like capitalism yeah, yeah, or our society oh, yeah, and yeah, that's go. yeah yeah totally <laughs> exactly it's like it's it seems big like in conversation doesn't seem like a big word right. but i feel like in a pub or whatever so it's intentionally looking at a bit and going like is there a way i can make this even broader but still keep the the depth or whatever, like you know. So and also being will, willing to be totally stu- stupid yeah. and dumb and silly, and have bits that aren't have no point. Like I've got a whole routine about how the they've found UFO footage and released at the CIA, and how what like what it would be like because it you know if a dog tries to fuck your leg it's trying to fuck up a species and we can't fuck up a species as humans we can only fuck down and what it'd be like if an alien arrived and we could fuck up and then i act out like an orb of light having sex with an orb of light that's an alien that that makes you levitate above the city and you're edging and like (laughs) coming above the city as you float for this orb of light incredible experience then you lose your job and stuff because you're floating above the city coming i like your take on what relatable (laughs) material is (laughs) (laughs) like i said i'm trying to get tried to get a bit broader you know so i've got this bit where i'm not doing the bit justice i swear it's funny (laughs) yeah look there's still yeah there's still plenty to take away yeah And there's still plenty to take away from the stuff. But it is just so dumb. And, you know, it's about fucking animals and human spoken. people might not know that uh, you went through a period of time where you got nominated for the best show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival a bunch of times. I how feel many, like nobody knows. How many times? <laughs> uh, I got nominated three times. So that's a lot yeah. of times. In a row. Yeah. So, so I think that kind of adds to it as well, which is... There's almost sometimes an expectation that, like, I mean, you know, you get nominated three times in a row. You know, Geraldine Hickey's been nominated before. People get nominated before. You know, then they eventually kind of win. But it also becomes, if you like, after, like, when you're in that group of people who's regularly getting your show nominated, it changes the nature of what you're doing in the festival. Because you're not just doing your show. You're... There's judges coming in. You're part of a process of whether, like, you're going to be like. Then there's nominations that come out. Then there's a week of people who might not have come to the show in regular circumstances coming out to your show and seeing mm-hmm. your show. Like, it changes the very nature of what the festival is. This as- aspect of competition that has been layered upon it. I think it's like personally an absolutely terrible idea. I don't think that arts festivals should have awards, and mm-hmm. I think that 
the positive that is done by them is outweighed by the negative that is done throughout the rest of the festival. But, you know, that that's just my opinion. Um, they Definitely can also a be... argument for not having them they totally. Can, they can be good for the people who end up being nominated and winning yeah. them. Yeah. But I do think that they can have a negative effect on the people who aren't and also on the people who are. Because totally, if you're yeah. having a great festival... And then that last week of the festival, imagine without the, the, like you're still having that same festival. You've done this great show. People have heard about the show. Everyone's talking about your show. You know, these sort of things. And instead of that last week, every fucking show being like, if I fuck this up tonight, I don't win that award. And who are these strangers who have just come to see the show because I've been nominated for an award versus what that last week of shows would have been. I often think they're robbing from the nominees as much as they're robbing from the people who don't get nominated. I, I totally agree, yeah. I mean, I think in an ideal world, there'd be no awards. But then again, you like you say, like, look at Geraldine. You know, you you feel like such a great sense of satisfaction for her to have that. So, yeah, I know what you mean about the negatives and positives, but that, what you're saying is definitely true. Did it like, become like a part of your thinking, I guess, is the question I was going to ask. It definitely Do you feel does. feel like it affected your creative it, process? It definitely does. It definitely does because, yeah, I think for a show to be nominated, it's like got to have all these great bits in it, but it's got to have certain structure and stuff as well. And you've got to, it's got to be of a certain standard and, and, and to have a sense of completedness. Or something, um, but like say this year, because I don't want that anymore. I did the complete opposite and had no structure and just did whatever I thought was funny for the hour and just like had no conclusion and no finale that ties the whole show together or whatever. So it's just like, yeah, I guess it changes your thinking about. It's like a firm decision of like going like I, I'm going to do what I want to do and not try and do what I think these people want to see. You know and what that, I mean? I see, again, that would be my <laughs> argument for how it actually changes the festival in a ne- negative way. I because agree, yeah. artists, instead of doing the art that they want to make, suddenly start to... I mean, you see it even in the copycat style, right? Yeah. Like Nanette wins, so suddenly everyone next year is doing their version of Nanette. Yeah, kind of thinking that's what you're meant to do, but maybe yep. as an artist that year you weren't meant to do your version. It's of so that. true. It was too early for that. You should have been doing something differently. That you was would a have big told lesson. It better at a, another time. Like you start writing a show for a, what you think a panel of people want, as opposed to what you actually want the show to be. It's a, it's it's absolutely true, and uh, and and that's the big lesson. That was a big lesson for me. Anyway, it was like just do what you're going to do, do what you're enjoying. And uh, if that's what this turns out to be for the show, then that's great. And But don't be like structuring your show towards awards, reviews, what you think people want and stuff like that, you know? If it comes from a place of joy, I think that that's... That's 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 the good stuff. You're enjoying doing it. You enjoy. That's part of the what I was saying about changing the material to be more fun and silly and not serious and stuff. Is that when I'm doing it, I'm enjoying it and laughing and like, you know, like having fun doing it as opposed to like, all right, guys, let's get ready for the lecture or whatever. You know what I mean? Steve Jobs, who was a wonderful person in every way and never mm-hmm. made any bad mistakes. No. or you know, one of our great capitalists. Yeah, uh, but. He did say something that I think is relevant to artistic pursuits, which is it's not the 
well, he said, you know, it's not the consumer's job to know what they want, right? And I think it actually, you know, is something that is even more relevant to us as artists, which is I think we've got too used to almost asking the audience what they want. You know, like this idea that whereas like true artistry isn't about going, hey, what do you guys want? And then creating what it is they want. It's about taking that audience to a place that they didn't know that they wanted to be. And then when they get there, that was the Steve Jobs thing, right? I'm going to create something that you don't know you want. And then I'm going to make it the most popular thing in the world. I think we've got into this culture and it's in general across our culture. You know, it's the feedback Mm. system we now live in. Everyone leaves a comment, you know, your Mm. Airbnb is sold in a certain way because of the feedback that you get. Your Mm -hmm. restaurant has the, you know, trip advisors and all these sort of ratings. Everything has a rating and review. We've empowered the audience and in some ways that is a really good thing. But in other ways, there is a part of me that's like, I don't, I think that it's not their job to know what a comedy show should be. It's a great point. And, and I think like it, it, you, you can take people into a place that they didn't think they wanted to go right. and they could be uncomfortable and they could be shocked and they could be even offended. And, um, and they, I think, secretly enjoy that. It's like when you have an abusive relationship with the with the crowd. You know, sometimes you have nights where you just like, oh, you guys, would you you guys fucking grow up or whatever. You know, you start abusing the crowd or whatever and bringing them down, then bringing them. You know, like the, the, the they enjoy that that relationship. But if you were just trying to please them with what they wanted, you'd just be like, oh no, I better not say that. I better not do this. If but I hadn't I think- unlocked that, what you've just said about the joy a crowd, if they're in that moment, can get out of you actually just being honest because that's what we're talking about here when you're using a crowd is authenticity yeah, yeah so i do these improv shows you know and they would not exist without my capacity to get out of a hole by abusing the audience exactly, you know what i mean like yeah. when they jump off my relationship with them of being able to explain to them why they're wrong and i'm right or whatever and like as soon as you if i in that moment something died and i tried to move on and pretend it hadn't died that whole show falls apart but if I can take that moment and authentically respond to it, you don't always get that right. But if you can get in tune with where they're at and what just happened and then unpick it in some way, abuse them, turn it back on them, you know, change the energy of it, you're absolutely fine. The only thing you can't do is pretend it didn't happen. Because, yeah, because the, the improv nature of the show is is forcing you and forcing the audience into places they don't want to go. Right. Because you've got no fucking choice because you're improvising it. And that's exactly what I'm. What I'm think you're saying. And what you know. What I'm. What I was saying is that when you start bombing when you're improvising, and they go, "Oh, oh God, he's bombing!" It's a horrible feeling as a crowd member because you're like, "Oh no, this is going to be so uncomfortable." And then you dig out of it, and they're like, "Oh wow, he got out of it. Fuck! Now he's angry at us." Right. <laughs> so they're going through motions. How do I feel about that? And and all that roller coaster. They they're like, is better money for the ticket in my opinion than just like. Here's all these jokes. I've written them out. I've tried them. They're all perfect. It'll just go like this and then you'll get to the end and you'll be like, oh, I laughed. Yeah. As opposed to like, what's going to happen? Oh my God, how do I feel about this? I didn't know that. Oh no, that makes me sad. Or now I'm happy. Like, you know? Yeah, there has to be something about tonight. Like, There has to be my, risk. There has to be risk. My great desire would be that I, everyone could identify every show that I've ever done by something that happened in the show. You know, just like I was there that night, you knocked your water over as you walked out and you spent like the first five minutes mopping it up while you're doing your jokes. Or I was there that just something, 
even if it is just that one thing that makes it different and changes it from the night See, before. The, the dream is the whole show is that. Yeah. That that I reckon is the dream where it's like and and in order to achieve that, I think you have to be improvising and not and and like you were saying before about um when you were going to America and you were like I've got no set list and I don't, I don't know the order. And I and if I fall in a hole, I'll have to think on my feet and get out. And that creates that sense of like, oh, you know, like what's going to happen? And like, and you know, did you ever see Nick's son? Yeah, of course. Man, he was. To I mean, me, he would like start by trying to lose everyone, though. That was yeah, the whole point. Yeah, he, he got too far into yeah. <laughs> abusing the audience and intentionally losing them and bombing shows and making sure there were no laughs. <laughs> I think it's just so funny. He was so fucking... I mean, great as a comic, right? To watch, you know. I, I mean, mean, I loved it. Because it was craft. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. shit. It was someone intentionally trying to do terribly. Yeah, like, it's awesome. And never letting people into it. Like, even... Like, would be annoyed when people kind of clued into how funny it was. Uh, I asked people on this podcast if they have a life philosophy. Is your life philosophy also head and gut or is it something different to that? Fuck, I actually didn't think think of it like that, but yeah, that'd be a good one to go by, wouldn't it? Not your head, think of you, so use your gut. I was thinking about this on the way di- on the way down here, like, oh yeah, such a tough question, isn't it? Because obviously your life philosophy changes so much over your life. But I was thinking like, I've been reading this Stoicism. You ever you read Stoicism? Uh, like- no. So to be honest, here's what I will tell you. It's I have the gist of it. Yeah. Right. It's a good thing to have the gist but, of it. But the gist is appealing to me. Like I totally. spoke um, to Mark Colvin, a departed ABC journalist, but he was a really you know, well-respected ABC journalist on this show in the early days. The, speaking of being scared. That, I remember just being so intimidated by him that day, like just his brilliance. And he'd reached out, he was a fan of the show and he you know, was really happy to come on. And I just was like, you can hear it when you listen back to it. I am just so fucking nervous. And like, you know, really? I want to ask him good questions. And like, you know, I'm much a bit, earlier a bit like in the- today. Much, well, I've been doing this show now for like seven or eight years and I do it all the time. And I just love doing it now. Like yeah. I just, like we just- in the old days, you could hear the old episodes, and it's very much like, "Where'd you go to school?" and oh, blah, yeah, blah blah blah, yeah. and tell us your life story. And like, yeah. now it just hopefully is interesting conversations with people that reveal something about them. And but he was genuinely a Stoic, like in regard really? to the fact that that was his philosophy, and he had studied the Stoics, and he spoke to me a little bit about it. And then I've uh, on the opposite end of that spectrum, uh, I follow an Instagram account called The Daily Stoic. <laughs> yeah, The Daily Stoic, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I've heard enough. Uh, <laughs> I get the gist. Yeah, yeah, I get the gist. Yeah. It's like one but sentence. Explain, like, to believe people, yourself. <laughs> explain to people who haven't done the incredible depth of research on the topic uh, that I have what, what you mean by... Well, I, my my research is just Marcus Aurelius's book, Meditations. Yep. And that that... Basically, I think there's, you know, so my knowledge is limited as well, but there is one book that I've read and sort of reread, obviously, a lot. And uh, yeah, I think the main tenet of it is nothing external to you can hurt you. It's only your judgment of it. And I think that that is obviously like if a truck hits you or something, that's, (laughs) (laughs) but like, you know, like non-physical stuff. Yeah. Terms and conditions may apply. Yeah. Yeah. Don't Don't get your life too much by it. Yeah. Yeah, Don't just walk into walls and shit. Um, But yeah, uh, that idea that nothing, nothing external to you can, can hurt you only, only how you judge 
and your judgment of it, I think, um, is like something that I really try to try to live by because this is a mental health thing. It's like you know, like trying not to let things affect you. Someone can be the someone said to me something really recently. Actually, weirdly, Sam Campbell said to me, um, which is goes, now his, that's his stage name now, isn't it? Weirdly, Sam, Sam Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a weird Al Yankovic thing he's going yeah. for. <laughs> It just prepares people yeah. a little bit more for what they're about to see. Yeah. You know, everybody weirdly Sam Campbell. It would be like people would just be on board from the start then. They'd be like, "Oh, it's meant to be like this." Yeah. <laughs> One of the greats. Um, well, but he said, "I mean, that's someone who's in the moment." Like, I'm a huge fan of Sam's. I think he's talk a about gut not head. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he is. He's awesome. He's a person who creates comedy out of things that you didn't know there was comedy in. Oh, he's the best. Yeah. And uh, a great guy too. And uh, he said to me, he goes, oh, I don't think Ronnie Chang likes me much, but we shouldn't say this on the podcast. And he goes, but I love Ronnie Chang. Yeah. Isn't that the ultimate maturity to love someone who hates you? Firstly, uh, I think Ronnie just in general gives off that vibe. Yeah, he I does. I think it's fine. Listen, man, listen yeah. man, you need to shut up, man, okay? Yeah. Says that shit to me all the time. Yeah, exactly. he's awesome too. Yeah, but yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, I love Ronnie. He's been yeah. on the show a couple of times. but He's um, great. Uh, yeah. But also I love Sam, but I also think that I'm glad you brought it up because- I think it is a good level of like maturity yes. and insight and all those sort of things, which is, and that you're allowed to change your mind. Like that you can just go like, in fact, breaking down some of those things, like what they don't teach you about life is that like unlearning has to be as oh, disciplined as learning. Fucking like, so true, man. Like, so undoing those pathways. If you're not, examining why you do something or why you believe something constantly like if you examine it and then you believe it still at the end great good belief you know what i mean like good solid i do hate myself belief but like that's fine (laughs) like i mean again that could at least go do i hate myself because i'm depressed or do i hate myself because i'm in a bad relationship or i'm living in the wrong place yeah like so the act of examining you know that revisiting it you know, mm-hmm. and saying, why is this gives you the opportunity to then change either how you feel about it. You might be like, well, yes, this is a bad relationship, but I want to stick with this relationship. So I have to then change my relationship to my relationship or, <laughs> you know, or I have to do something about it in a different way. So, I mean, it's an appealing, I think it's an appealing way to look at the world. And I think it also, what is a great appeal of it is it means that we can, have permission to evolve and get better. That's what I think about it because I think that one of my fears is that while we're going through a great reckoning at the moment around like, you know, all sorts of aspects of our society where people have been badly treated and suddenly their voices are being heard and I think that's a really fucking great thing. And I think that it's also good that people can be persecuted for past bad deeds, you know, if they're appropriate to be so. But I think that for people who weren't terrible people, criminal people, you know, those sort of things, but people who were just a- acting as products of their time, that giving people an opportunity to reframe what they thought. I used to believe this. I used to be a right-wing dude, but now I'm like, I've like, you know, they had a pathway out of that and I don't have to be that forever, is more positive for our society than forcing people to remain in their ghettos and defend positions that are outdated. God, someone had this great po- uh, premise for a joke 
and I can't remember who it, who it is. I wish I, I could remember it because I swear it was someone on the open mics in up in Brisbane, but it was that if someone recovers from drugs, we're like, oh, well, great. Yeah, we're not like, you used to be a drug addict. What the fuck? We're like, so good for you. But if someone changes, I used to think, you know, like this. Right. And now I think this, they're never, you're like, you used to what? You used to be, you did that. Like there's no forgiveness now. Do you know what I mean? But and also what you're talking about. The idea like, that we wouldn't change our minds. Like, I mean, I think it's yeah, relevant to us as comedians yeah. because comedy is such a product of its time. And like, of course, it's going to reflect the language of the time, the opinions of the time, the way, you know, the conversation was happening That's in society. That's what I'm saying. Like, you, if you go back 10 years and you said this, some bit or whatever, and someone digs it up and goes, you said that fuck you and it's like yeah but i don't think yeah. that anymore i, I don't think that totally. was a, and yeah on reflection i don't think it was a great way to express it then like yeah yeah but you know yeah. i didn't mm. at the time you know i, I well i hope I'm, I'm better now like you know I've, I've found a pathway to improving myself and i think that being able to give people permission to reevaluate their relationships with, like, I think that part of the reason people get involved in these cults and these ways of thinking is that you get ostracized from everybody else and no one offers you a pathway back into, hey, when you when you want to have a conversation, like, about that maybe you've got some questions about this, you can definitely come and talk to me about what those questions are. Like, I, I'm not going to shut you off. And I think that at the moment we're just in danger of, <laughs> shutting yeah. people off a lot of shutting off and i don't on. think that the shutting off is helping i think the shutting no. off is forcing those people to double down on being shut off and Absolutely, i just can't see yeah. that that has the end game of that to me doesn't seem like how i can't understand how that could be positive i can see all the ways that that can become a real negative thing the escalation of you know in group you know determinism yeah. and then yeah. the spillover of violence and you know totally. like just how we exist as a human race when people can't even agree on a core set of principles and scientific beliefs and facts and things like that like that's not a, I, that doesn't feel like a good path for the world discuss mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean you're to, you're to, you've left me with a lot to carry here <laughs> you've really <laughs> Shoveled off a big wheelbarrow full of ideas there. To sum um, up, please yeah. bring to the stage Damien Power. <laughs> Good to be here. Fuck. <laughs> now I'd turn and abuse the audience, but it's just you. <laughs> um, you're totally right. And it comes back to, I, to I totally agree with you. And I think it comes back to weirdly the jumping off point, which is like being kind to people that hate you. And that idea of um, reframing attacks on you. Um, and and actually uh, uh, changing your judgment of them instead of seeing them like you said that fuck you how could you as opposed to being like they're going through their thing they believe this now it might change um, I still I, 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 I'm still going to be kind to them or you know uh, treat them treat them with respect and kindness and stuff it makes you feel better if someone if someone's a fucking prick to you. And you're still kind to them. It's easier for you, even from a selfish perspective. Because, like, if you're just like you're being a prick to me, and this is easier said than done, by the way. I'm you know, definitely not I, achieving this at all. I agree life. with that, but I will say that when it. So I'll give you just a real world example. Well, you feel like someone's betrayed you, and you can still be kind to them. Well, this I is. I mean, I, I much smaller version of it that happened to me yesterday. So somebody was tweeting about. Um, you know, how handy it was to have rich parents if you wanted to be a comedian or in the entertainment industry. Absolutely. And 
It, of course, that's a and like that is absolutely true. Particularly to go into an unreliable industry, if you have some sort of like financial backup or even just the confidence of financial backup or the confidence that you can fuck up your life for five years and you'll still be fine because you have like this privilege behind you. They are all relevant things, and I agree with that. And for me, it's a bit different because, like as I told you, it was a bit different when. Um, I started doing comedy. It wasn't really something that you got into if you had rich parents because your yeah. rich parents would disown you if you totally. went into stand-up yeah. comedy. But that wasn't the point I made on the on the feed. The point I made on the feed was I absolutely agree. And also back when I started, like the obligations around unemployment benefits were so much lower. Like, I mean, we used to call it the unofficial arts grant. Like there really was kind of built into the system that you could go on the open mic stand-up comedy circuit and just go on the dole and that's how you'd pay your bills and like we lived in a society where the dole was still enough that really if you're doing a few cash in hand gigs and like you had the dole Ramona Monis down come on come here come on come here he's looking at your he's looking at your point break poster like come on that's it uh Sorry, what was I saying? Uh, yeah, yeah, you were saying that that uh, the dole and like oh, welfare and stuff so was so welfare, good in your day that you it could, used to be kind of if just you didn't understood. have rich parents, you could still yeah, you could go into yeah. these things because you could just be on the dole. And literally, it was kind of understood to the point where I had like after I'd been on it for six months or whatever, I had like a social like they appointed at that point like you got like a case manager, the equivalent of a case manager. But she was such like, she was like, oh, I see you're doing like all these gigs. You're not getting paid yet, but you're clearly like really serious about this. Like we consider you going to these gigs, like going to a job interview. That's absolutely qualifies your, because you're trying to get better at your job so that you can have a job in this industry. Right. Right. Brilliant. And I did like, and I've paid back myriad times more tax. Are you still still full-time comedy now? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> or did you go back to a job or welfare or <laughs> i mean last year i mean job keeper so yes kind of to be honest bring back all my same material but i still say centrelink but <laughs> but it was so i i tweet on this thing like adding to like yes and it's even harder now because you know the like, welfare state yeah yeah, yeah right harder, yeah and then somebody chimes in and says, oh, come on, Will, you went to private school and your parents own a farm, which I heard was pretty big. And in my head, my immediate first reaction is, you I want to mean, kill that motherfucker. Seriously. Yeah. Like, a, that's not the point I was making. I was saying- You're pro the point. I was yeah. actually going, and to even add to that, it's, mm. it's even harder because of this. Yeah. Um, but B, like my parents were working class people and they have a family dairy farm that my dad still works on, you know, in his 70s. And like, it wasn't, yeah. I'm not from wealth. I went to private school on a scholarship, but we had no money. I worked. Yeah. Like, so all these things rage through me. Like all this, like, but I'm like, why am I, like, I know that that's true. Like, why am I? building this case to rage to a stranger about like this to justify myself. Mm. But at the same time, I couldn't quite leave it. So I just went back with (laughs) kindness. I was like, like whatever I said was like fair point. Like um, I went to private school on a scholarship, you know, it's a 
little family dairy farm. But it wasn't the point I was making. And the point I was making wasn't even harder now than blah, blah, blah. But offered it very much in like a, took all the anger out of it, took all the fuck you out of it, literally just kind of was like, I, I feel like I want to make my point still. I think if I didn't say anything at all, I just, it would have bothered me. I would have kept going around raging in my head about like, but there's obviously in this case there's the element of understanding his perspective and what might be going on and right. his life to lead him to the point of saying that exactly so you're acknowledging right. that and then going hey and also to that yeah i actually meant this and you know, which is very different to i want to kill you and, and it changed the game like <laughs> yeah. literally they tweeted back you know like yeah fair point didn't know but yeah exactly blah 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 like yeah. you know what i mean like, so whereas, that was better for you too. So much better because I'm done with it now. Yeah. Well, I told the story on this podcast, but yeah. now I'm done You'll with it. You'll never stop thinking about it. But yeah. <laughs> No, the other way I never would have stopped yeah, thinking totally, about it. Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. This is, I went back with a little heat out of it and this other person responded, like we, we, we shook hands and we kind of went on our way and I'm done with it. it because I didn't take the anger back to it. Yeah, Because you're, if you're I'd totally taken right. it back, it just would have started a fire of some kind. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, it's better for you, it's better for him, and it's better for everybody, especially now. I mean, it's like, you know, especially with the internet. It's so, I mean, it's like <laughs> it's, like, it's like road rage, man, because yeah. you're behind a keyboard. It's like they would never come up to your face and go, yeah, but you went to a fucking private school, like looking you in the face. I mean, it's even ridiculous because so we know the amount of people. It's all who, amplified. We know the amount of people who've come a cropper on the internet, right? Yeah, totally. And the fact that you still even walk down that alleyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like there has been so you many know where it's there's no good yeah, to you know come of this. Yeah. Like why do you keep coming down here? It's so tempting. Because you're from Because once you're there, you're yeah. like, I am feeling a little farty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just gonna hit enter, boom. Fifty yeah. comments later. Fuck you, what a fucking oh, This you know. morning I composed the like there was this like Tim Webster who I actually don't think is the worst person in the world, but he'd like just done this thing about Australia Day and you know how it's you know history and we shouldn't change history and like yeah I really went through the whole it's only even been on that day for fucking nineteen it like literally like was about composed this whole thing and then I was like what are you doing like what what <laughs> what, what is, is going to come of this what? yeah what is what what do you not have anything to do for the next hour other yeah, than get as mad if he's going to go like internet? good point and I've taken it on board thank you Will like who's it for. <laughs> What is the point of this? Yeah. Why are you doing it? Oh, man, it's so fucking And then true. just the emotional maturity to unload that pistol, put it yeah. back in the drawer. Save to drafts. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking true, man. Oh, um, all right, uh, final questions. Uh, what do you think happens when we die? Poor. I'd like to think either totally nothing or maybe this is actually some kind of experiment by some kind of higher being that hopefully one day we can fuck apparently <laughs> <laughs> fuck up a species um yeah they're the two options i think you die and then you get unplugged and you're in a lab and you're like and they're like haha how funny was that <laughs> wouldn't surprise me yeah it's possible i none of the possible scenarios would surprise me at this yeah. point no, it's actually, it's definitely going to be a white dude with a beard who's like, welcome to heaven. <laughs> Don't you love how God's depicted as a white dude? Weirdly, like, it looks exactly the same as a guy yeah. who commissioned the painting. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, this is what God looks like, yeah. me. 
white yeah. guy. Yeah. It's all white guys in there. You're going to yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Jesus was the only white guy in the Middle East. It's yeah. just one of those weird things. <laughs> I mean, it was a signal. You should have yeah, known yeah. from the painting. That's why everyone listened to yeah. it. Anyway. <laughs> 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 have a fun time kid rocks on at 12 yeah so <laughs> yeah he's headlining heaven kid rock it's really says it all doesn't it do you um care about death is it something that's present in your more so now yeah now that i'm 39 i'm like oh shit the race is half run you mm. know or whatever close to um i think about it more and uh yeah, weirdly, I think about it in terms of work for some reason, just in the sense that, I don't know, like there's some more urgency. It's given me a second wind of motivation, weirdly, lately. Like I did Melbourne this year and I'm like working harder than ever. Like to, like I'm like, oh, you're running out of time. Mm. To what end? To, what to, what to, is it that you want to achieve before you run out of just time? Just to, you know, like what you said, I think, of just like, no, it's not done yet. Like the the thing yeah. the bit the the stand up thing isn't done. I haven't got it right yet. Yeah. I'm gonna get it right, and you know I've got it. I've just got to work harder, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. You will it, not get it right. No, by of the course, way, it will be like the lure they have at the Greyhounds. You uh, totally. will be running around yeah. in a circle, ironically, yeah. in the opposite direction to your brother. Similar driving. levels of panic, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that's the Greyhound. Like you look at the Greyhounds. That's how I feel on the inside. <laughs> After the rabbit that's yeah. fake, then you get it. Yeah, exactly. You get it. It's not a real rabbit. Yeah. Anyway, like, life, they said it would be life, real. Oh, <laughs> um, you die and none of it matters and yeah. eventually all our graves go untended oh man Bukowski said it man <laughs> Bukowski said it his gravestone says don't try um yeah so but but you know what all that work I'm, I'm kind of enjoying I'm enjoying it though it's not yeah. like it used to be which was like oh my god I've got to fucking do this yeah. and now it's just like oh this is fun I've got this bit and I want to keep working at it and getting up more and making it better and stuff. It's like a... So, yeah, in a way, I think death has made has made me more productive I think in a that's weird way. the point of it, isn't it? Yeah, in yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah, it's like a gun to the head, huh? Yeah. Um, um, okay, is there anything uh, that if you had your time over, you'd do differently? Oh, fuck. Yeah. You know what weirdly... Definitely if some relationships I've had, mm. I would never have gone into. Um, and... Uh, you know, it's funny, man. It's such a simple one. I just wish I'd, I'd not smoked pot when I was young. <laughs> I mean, That's a privileged life, yeah. man. That's a fucking privileged life when you look back and you're like, yeah, regrets, just not smoking pot. No, I just smoked a lot of weed when I was younger and I think it just didn't help and took me like a long time to get over, I think. I, it's, it seems very prescriptive for me to say this, but I am... You're literally smoking weed. I'm literally smoking weed while we're doing this interview. But but I am a big subscriber to the idea and it is absolutely, you know, confirmation bias because this is what happened to me. And I've heard about it with a few other people and I do think it makes some sense, which is I don't reckon you should be able to smoke pot until you're 30. I think it should be legal once you're 30. Yeah, now, I understand so that there yeah. is... Totally all sorts of implementation problems with that plan. But I just think as a philosophy, get some shit done first. Don't let it, because it can derail your life. But I think it, then you come to a point in your life where it's good to fucking chill out a little bit. And to, But also you'll know whether 
you're in a position to be able to do it. It's not going to fuck up things. It's like you can, like your brain's, you know, formed in a way that it's not going to fucking, you know, like totally, I really man. think it totally. should be legal, but it should be only legal once you're 30. Yeah. 25 Plus it gives you an extra minimum. incentive. Yeah. Like, do you mean like we get like 18, you get to drink, yeah. 30, you get to smoke weed legally. That will be a Bangalore palm leaf falling down. Beautifully timed. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, um, I agree with you, yeah. Because I think like that was the problem is just not that, it, you know, like I said, it's not the biggest deal, but just during those 20s when I when we're like, well, have my mental health was its worst. I feel like is that's like big part of it. Pot's it's like fertilizer for not, not paranoia not in that situation. Yeah, it's it's fer- it's fertilizer for paranoia. Yeah. Um, Plus and, that's when you should be at like nightclubs taking ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, I was taking. Yeah, I took a few drugs to be honest, and put it all on weed. But um, <laughs> um, weed's taking the brunt. It's just so much more regular weed, I suppose. You know, you don't like. You know, there's a limit to those other drugs you can physically take, but pot you can take like regularly, I suppose. So, yeah. Um. Well, the government says I'm allowed to, so yes. Yeah, you got that I government can. weed, man. Yeah, yeah. It does. It doesn't make any like it's, it's good would, that I've finally been able to smoke marijuana in Australia because up until this point, of course, I was respectful of all government and state laws, so I never tried it. But yeah, no, now that I'm right. on the government program, yeah, you've been sober and never smoked weed yeah. until the government was like, "Okay, Will," because <laughs> that's how I live my life. I'm like, "Well, if the government's not cool with this, I'm not cool with it." If the government's not cool with it, I'm not cool with it. Will <laughs> that's my. It's been my motto, my catchphrase through my comedy career. Yep. Check with the government. Yep, that all adds up. <laughs> uh, I have a uh, on my desk. Uh, it's as close to an inspirational like sort of slogan, you know. As I have, it is. Um, uh, it says, "What would you attempt if you knew you could not fail?" Now, Ooh, what that means to one. me is, you know, to not take in, you know, to account that idea of, you know, will people watch this more if it's about this or like if I do it like this, you know, just what is it that you would actually like to do if you're guaranteed of it being successful? That's your question to me yeah. now. You know, um, oh. I feel like, yeah, there's this this show I want to do next year. I want to do an hour of stand up, but I want to do this this character show. This, this you know, I've done some some character shows with groups before, um, with Ann Edmonds and Greg and um, other stuff. And yeah, I want to do a solo character show next year, and I think like that will be terrifying to do an hour as a character that I've sort of done before in stand-up but never totally in full hour build as a different person. You know what I mean? Like a full cat. So I think that that would be, that, that would be the thing to do that I, I want to do and could be humiliating and embarrassing. It's a good example. It feels like a good example of what I, what I think about when I think about that question. Um, all right, two more. If you can have any ability in the world, just immediately, you don't have to do your 10,000 hours. You don't have to have a natural propensity for it. You just suddenly have this ability what ability would you like to have oh boy no i've always wanted to drive in circles <laughs> just slightly faster yeah, than your brother just a little faster than my brother <laughs> 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 401ks it was like fuck so quickly too yeah I just jumped in the car it's crazy i did this podcast and now i'm the best <laughs> and you're not funny fuck <laughs> 
I'm doing like gags on the radio calls in the car as well. It's like, hey, he's fast and funny. This is crazy. What do you mean aliens fucking people? Love? What the fuck? This is crazy shit. Um, uh, you know what? I think it would probably be... It would probably be like to be out of the sphere of writing, performing and shit like that, you know. Well, it's a type of performing, I guess. It would probably be like to be really good at the guitar, I reckon. Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, I mean, that's so, I mean, that, like, I think that's every, everybody has that somewhere in their list of, you know, dreams that they never got to or, fan, you know, like fantasies or whatever. But it'd be awesome to. Fantasy instrument for me, for whatever reason, has always been piano. saxophone. Piano. <laughs> piano. <laughs> no one ever says saxophone. Eh? I mean, I bet some people piano. say saxophone. Yeah, there would have been a period of time where people Do you feel like saxophone. it's lost the sexiness of saxophones since the 80s? Yeah, definitely. It was a peak. Like, it, I mean, it, Careless it Whisper and like that was a real peak. Yeah, there was a peak saxophone. saxophone. Yeah. yeah. Piano, totally, I get. Piano, actually, piano too. Piano and guitar, totally. The capacity to be able to just sit down at a piano and play the piano is something that I would find very appealing. And I like the idea that you could be in like Radiohead or whatever, but you can like sit down for the whole thing. Yeah. Like drums is too much. Like you're sitting down, but you're fucking working hard and you've got to keep in time. Whereas like piano, I feel like you can even get a little bit out of time playing the piano. Yeah. Yeah. There's something still super rock star about a piano for sure. Yeah. And just the ability to kind of just sit down and just like start playing piano. It's impressive. Yeah. It's like when, when they're, they're, they're performing, they just take a seat. You're like, whoa. And it hasn't been ruined by people at campfires getting out of like, like you know, people get out of guitar sometimes. You're like, oh, here we fucking go. Whereas, no one ever like, gets out that no electronic. Just like you know that electronic piano that's like shaped keyboard. like a guitar. Oh, Gather around, guitar. guys. I'll just dun, get out my guitar. Won't you take me to that fucking? Oh yeah, fuck it, that's good. Good example. Um, all right, final question. I have a time machine. I can take it any point in the future, any point in the past. Round trip. You have to bring it back. Um, you can visit yourself, you can change your life, you can just completely ignore your own existence and go to some, you know, place far in the future, far in the past. I don't really mind, but, you know, where would you like to go? I would go into the future. How far? Like, far. Man. Optimist, <laughs> far, optimistic. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm taking a gamble that... How many make... years do you reckon? I reckon, like... Yeah, you're right. You can't go too far. No. I reckon like 50 or 100 years with the speed things are going and that obviously in a way it's an optimistic because it's like, yeah, we push through because I'm thinking in my head we push through and um, technology, just to see technology and to see the shape of society I think would be um, really cool because I guess going backwards sort of like we sort of understand history and we sort of have records and ideas and theories about what happened and what it was like. But the future, you know, to see technology wherever it ends up in 50 or 100 years, I think it would be super interesting. I mean, my fear would be it would be so unrecognizable to me that I wouldn't even be able to comprehend what's going on. Yeah, I I'm feel barely like keeping up now. Things change so quickly. Yeah. Like, now. I don't know how to use TikTok. And then oh, in the no, future... No, no. I've That's... I've decided that things have moved on without me. That's fine. Like, that's okay. There's some things that I don't need to be involved in now. Like, I just need to die before things become so complicated. You know, like, that's the problem. It's hard to keep up, man. If you don't keep up, though, like, eventually you just don't know how anything works. 
And that's like, I don't want to be one of those people who doesn't understand how things work. Like, I don't understand how a lot of things work now, but I mean, just general things. Like, you know, get to the point where I have to like ring someone to explain how to turn on my TV or whatever. I don't want to, like, I need to keep up to date with that sort of stuff. And to be honest, I'm actually lying about that now because I already don't understand how to turn on my fucking TV. I've got a warning from it the last three days (laughs) that's telling me it's on some recalled list and I have to ring LG. Yeah. Because it might blow up. Jesus. Yeah. In fact, we've been sitting in this room with that TV's going to blow up soon. Well, you could. didn't tell me that when we started Possibly the fucking could. podcast. You get that pretty quiet. Well, you think I probably would have spent today ringing about that rather than talking to you <laughs> if I was really concerned about it. But oh well. <laughs> hey, look, come to the podcast. There's a small chance some of the furniture will explode. Um, I hope it maybe doesn't. the TV. But I have to. Yeah, no, me now. too, man. You don't want your TV blowing up. Uh, all right, uh, you've got shows, so I'll do plugs at the top because, you know, I don't expect everybody to have made it the whole two hours. But Yeah, yeah, um, stick through. But also, do them now because the people who've made it this far would definitely like to know about the fact that you're like, doing shows. Where can people see you? Where are you going to be on the road? What should they be looking out for? Is there stuff online that they should be looking for? Like, what what, what would you like to send them in the if direction of? I would, uh, the, weirdly, in a, I'm not sure when this will come out, but uh, at the end of June, I'm in Perth. The twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth, and um, and then I do my solo show at the Sydney Comedy Store from this year, which will just be like all the stuff I'm doing at the moment, because um, it's quite a loose like club. And is show. that in late June as well, early July? That's the third of July at the at the Comedy Store, and then I do the Brisbane Comedy Festival, which will be the twentieth of July to the twenty fifth. So, yeah, I'm re- really enjoying the hour that I'm doing at the moment, and I hope people come out to see it and. Yeah, I've been working really hard on it in the clubs and stuff. So, yeah, that's the big thing. And um, the other thing is I've put up, yeah, like three three of my specials fully on YouTube and stuff. And not many people know about that, but I just put them out. I didn't really publicize it or tell anyone to go see it or anything. That's the best way to do it. Yeah, so there's loads of my stuff online. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, yeah, I was just like, I'll put this here secretly and not tell anyone. There's a bit like that. So there's just like hours of my material and stuff and bits and my podcast that I do with Dan Rath. Have you ever seen Dan Rath? Yeah, absolutely. He's so good. Yeah. Great, great comedian. <clears throat> so we do a podcast, a bit sort of similar-ish to this in a way. It's just me and him and we talk a lot about society and life and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that's on YouTube and all the podcast places in audio form as well. So they're the, probably the things I want What's would it play. called? It's called Neurotic News. So yeah, they're the big things I would plug. Perth, what? Sydney, Brisbane and all my clips and specials on YouTube and the podcast. If you're interested, uh, you know how the internet works, people. You found this podcast, so I'm sure that you can also Google Damien's name and uh, find out if he's going to be uh, somewhere near where you are to go and see him do some live stuff. Because, uh, yeah, you're a fantastic live performer. You always have been. Uh, I've always loved coming to see your shows. And, uh, yeah, it's. Um, I, I like too, though, that it feels like, you know, you're just kind of just going to do what it is that you want to do because – I think, I mean, I think this in general, but I think this with you in particular, I think, you know, just fucking do whatever it is that you want to do. I think that that's what's interesting, right? Like, I think it always has been anyway. I think at the heart of what you've done is always that you've attacked things in a different way or you've come at them from a slightly different perspective. You, you know, you kind of had that like thing, thing that I always thought made you, you know, unique, which was 
you were talking about very like Melbourne topics to use a cliche, right? But in a very sort of like Queensland way, you know, like you had a different <laughs> yeah. approach because those jokes had been formed at not at in a Melbourne hipster bars, like at you know these like lounges and tougher gigs and whatever. So it just had a, a different approach. It's always been, I think, the most interesting thing about what you do. But the fact that it's now you're like, you know, the stuff I do for the grub doesn't have to be separate to the stuff that I'm doing for my stand-up. They can actually all be, that's that's all of me. And so it's not just all my gut now and none of my head. I've just got a better balance between what's in my gut and what's in my head and how the conversation between those two things happens. Man, and so, yeah, definitely, definitely... Yeah, so so how I feel about it's funny you say it like that. Yeah, like the silliest stuff that I've done and and the stuff I'm doing now. Yeah, I, I agree. And likewise, man. Obviously, I've watched you for years. Everyone watches you, obviously. But um, I always tell that story of when I was really struggling. Remember that second show? Like this is the second show I'd ever done, and I just could, I just was tearing my hair out. Didn't know how to repeat the hour because I spent six years doing the first one, and then was trying to turn over a new hour in like you know whatever the ridiculous time frame is eight months or whatever. And you came along and said to me, um, you said a lot of things. <laughs> but uh, one like particular me. thing, um, well, you know, I mean, like the show wasn't very good if you ask me. So you're, you're like, woof, okay, where do we start here? But um, you said to me um, that I was throwing, <clears throat> and I said this weirdly, I've passed this on to Dan Rath because he started later than me. You're like, you've got all these great bits and then you've got all your other stuff and you treat them all the same. So you're like, da-da-da, this, that. And then you have this great bit. And you're like, yep, that too. Move on. And it's like you're tossing all this stuff just away. And you're not leaning into this stuff. And yeah, that really is something I, I, I stuck with me. And yeah, I pass on to Dan because Dan has a fucking hour of that stuff. And he's like, yep, yeah, da, da, da. And I'm like, you're just throwing, like, you've got a meal on the table. And you're just like going, uh and throwing it on the floor kind of thing we, we started talking about the idea of like the show being different on the first night to the last night and yeah so much of that is what you're talking about there which is on that first night i have th- these are not the actual numbers but let's just say i have 30 ideas and the show should actually be 10 ideas and like it's not about trying to get through those 30 ideas every night and treat them the same. It's identifying which of those 10 are actually the good ideas, getting rid of the other stuff and leaning into the 10 good bits. You know what? It's such a, weirdly, it's such a writing lesson (laughs) because like what I'm finding now, and it's a lesson you learn over and over again, what you just said, which is that you've got these great ideas and you, instead of giving one and, and, and going, there's something here and how, big can i make it maybe you go off on the start of the bit and you go off with this tangent and that and like there's so much more in it and when the bit finishes maybe there's more to it or like that idea has so much and you just focus on that that one idea and expanding that instead of trying to have i've got that idea and it gets this far and then it's done and then now there's this idea and now there's this idea and you never you have a whole bunch of ideas that start but never it's so much easier writing wise to find an idea and stick with it you're not going to tear your hair out as much because <clears throat> you've started it. So you've got the idea. Get get more out of it than, you know, like uh, trying to come up with a new idea every time you sit down to write. 
but yeah, so I totally, totally agree with you. I mean, it's always good to give a good, great bit of writing advice at two hours ten into the podcast. Yeah, yeah. you know, for the people who really stuck around at the yeah, end. There's yeah, your... yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's the key to the, everything I've just said for the last two hours. Anyway, I hope you stuck around even after the plug. Anyway, because <laughs> I know <laughs> all you had like, to say was thanks for sticking around. Felt, and by the way, felt Will. like this was over ten minutes ago. Are they still talking? Yeah. Uh, thank you for doing this, man. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you.